0: So this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past six, Wednesday the 3rd of October. I know it's the 3rd because yesterday was the 2nd. It was my mum's birthday. We had a lovely time. Took her out for lunch, it was nice. And then we were all surprised when my kids turned up as well. Fantastic. My voice is going, so I need your help as much as possible this morning. I'm going to throw out some bits and pieces. And ideally, could you call in... And there, you can take the pressure off me a little bit. Have a listen to these, see if any of these grab you. The West Coast mainline deal with First Group has been sensationally scrapped. How is this going to affect you? Coming up, a Buckinghamshire filmmaker wants £25,000 of your money. We'll find out why. And this is a great one. A man worked for a Tring company for 71 years. What's the longest amount of time you've ever stayed in one job? You can get in touch by email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text, 3CR, ideally today. Come on, do me a favour. Could you give me a call? 08459 455 555.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Now, if you uh, catch the train from Watford or Milton Keynes on the West Coast mainline, uh, you will have been used to getting on a Virgin service. From December, First group was due to take over. Remember there was a big Ferrari, uh, and uh, Branson came out and said, "This is unfair." Well, now the decision to award the franchise to First Group has been scrapped, and the government says the bidding process must be rerun. Ministers say there were significant technical flaws in the way the risks for each bid were calculated. Labour MP Louise Elman is the chair of the Transport Select Committee. She says it's shocking.
2: This is absolutely astonishing, and this comes only three weeks after the Transport Select Committee questioned Virgin, First Group, and the Secretary of State for Transport on this matter, and now questioning focus on this very issue of risk On whether the offer that First Group had made to pay a premium to the government for running the service over a 15-year period would ever actually materialise. So that was the key issue. I'm going to recall the Secretary of State and the Permanent Secretary to the Transport Select Committee to question them about just what has gone wrong. The Secretary of State assured us that the government had got it right. He said that they had done a robust analysis and that they would be fighting the court case with Virgin... Judicial review was to be granted, um, very hard. And he was absolutely confident that they would win. Now it, it appears that uh, that was completely wrong, and in fact, it was while the government was putting its case together to go to court that they found that a major error had been made. And I, I think the public deserved to know more about that. And, and that's why I'm going to recall them.
0: Sim Harris is the managing editor of Bedfordshire-based Rail News. He says it's unlikely to affect passengers. For the meanwhile,
3: it really is a moment. Uh, where everyone has to pause and say, what's going on? Is this process right? And is the Department for Transport the right body to award franchises at all? We don't yet know who will be running the trains on the 9th of December because the DFT has not yet said. There are a couple of possibilities. One has got to be now that Virgin will, in spite of what appeared to be likely until midnight tonight, uh, will go on running the service in which case passengers will notice no difference whatever on the morning of the 9th of December. Secondly, the department may decide that it's best to, if you like, take a neutral stance and hand over the operation to directly operated railways. In that case, the Virgin logos will disappear from the sides of the trains and so on. But apart from that, everything will run quite normally. What is plainly not now going to happen is first group will not be running the service. But have no fear. If you were going to get a train from Houston or Manchester Piccadilly or Glasgow Central or any of the other stations on the West Coast on the 9th of December the train will run exactly as it does normally. So in a sense, slightly ironically it's the passengers who will notice the least difference. George Muir
0: was Director General of the Association of Train Operating Companies for nine years. He says that the government's former transport minister, Teresa Villiers, must share some of the blame for what's happened.
4: They've introduced this new system, which is long-term franchises, 13, 15 years, and the train operator in bidding is supposed to take the revenue risk for the whole 13 years. Well, for a large franchise, this is simply impossible it puts far too much risk onto train operators
0: it's a bit of a mess isn't it and I, if i remember correctly it costs a fortune to submit a bid. it's something like each company has to pay i think and i could be wrong it's about 10 million pounds just to submit a bid and if you lose the bid you don't get that money back so there will be companies all over the place and there's some foreign companies as well i think a french company and some british they'll be furious that. Listen, there's there's no point in us going into the technicals uh, of exactly what's happened, because I don't know enough. We've got someone coming on later on, hopefully, who can clear that up. I don't know enough. I'm guessing you don't know enough either. Maybe you do. Apologies if I got that wrong. But I suppose the question is, what do you want from a train service? What do you want? If you use them regularly, what exactly is it that you want from a train service? And are you getting it now? Are you happy? It's Virgin running the service now. It was going to be first group um, from December. Are you happy with the service you're getting? What's lacking? 08459 oh, five, 455 double, 555. Double, Are you happy with your train service now? And what do you want from trains? A seat would be nice. I guess the two main things for me is I'd like them to be on time and a seat. I was in first class once. Yeah, I know, fancy. And they declassified it. Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. I paid extra money for that. Listen, I know we're BBC Three Counties Radio, we're not supposed to bang on about what's on TV, but there's two cracking things on TV tonight associated with radio. The first one, BBC Four the Kenny Everett's story. Oh, I'm taping that. I'm setting the timer on the video for that. And I'm also setting the timer on the video. Uh, we need you to do a bit of homework tonight, this whole Jimmy Savile that uh, has blown up about did he, uh, you know, uh, uh, sexually attack young girls. The documentary is on tonight. It's ITV. I think it's about nine o'clock. I'll check and I'll I'll make sure I've got that right. But it's on tonight. Your homework, dear listener, could you watch that Jimmy Savile documentary tonight, please? We're going to be talking about it in a bit more detail tomorrow. And I think it will be good if we could talk about it coming from a place of knowledge. It's easier to talk about these things when you've seen them, I think. So if you could watch it tonight, and then we'll talk about it tomorrow. Okay, okay. so that's, that's your homework. I've set you some homework. I hope you don't mind. Let's have a quick look at some of the front pages of the newspaper, shall we? The Guardian, Miliband's national anthem. Labour leader vows to unite country as he claims one nation mantle. I don't get this one nation thing. Is it not the same as the big society? And there's a picture of him kissing his wife. Again, I always find it odd when politicians have to kiss their wives on stage. Well, does, it to imply something, I don't know. Uh, The Daily Telegraph uh, Let our beautiful little girl come home to us Plead April's parents And lower the abortion limit to 20 weeks Oh and also on the front page This is the front page story No overeaters at all you can eat buffet We'll talk about this a bit later on But the, the, the basic story is Two greedy men have been banned From an all you can eat restaurant Because they ate so much That the manager feared for his business Greedy men They're big lads There's a picture of them in some of the other papers They're big lads and if you saw them walking into your restaurant for an all-you-can-eat buffet you would kind of think "Uh uh-oh but surely all you can eat means i don't know all you can eat maybe we'll talk about that a bit later on the times west coast rail contract is scrapped over floors independent new hd cctv puts human rights at risk watchdog warns big brother britain has arrived unnoticed The son nicked. Family pal arrested by April Cops. Daily Mirror, please, please let her come home. Uh, The Daily Express, desperate search for five-year-old little girl. And the Daily Mail is following uh, the lead of all the other papers. Please let our little uh, girl, April, come home safe. Good morning, it's 6.15, Wednesday the 3rd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The bidding process for the West Coast mainline franchise will be rerun after the government admitted its own civil servants got their maths wrong. Police are using thermal imaging equipment to try to find the missing five-year-old April Jones. In sport, Neil Lennon says he's the proudest man in Europe after Celtic's historic 3-2 victory over Spartak Moscow uh, in the Champions League. Coming up, I'll meet a Buckinghamshire filmmaker who needs your help. I mean, your money, sorry. Don't worry, you will get something in return.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Did I say Celtic? I meant Celtic. Did I say Moscow? I meant Moscow. I can't believe I said Moscow. I'd be watching way too many American films, I think. It's good, that. My voice seems to be holding up 20 minutes into the show, and do you know what? I think it's sounding sexy. Yeah. Very sexy. Speaking of sexy, let's get the weather with Phil Garner. Beds, hearts and bucks weather.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
5: Good morning.
0: You see, I told you he was sexy. Thank you, Phil. 08459 oh, double five five double five. Now, here's a good one. A High and woman wants to make a film about Stockholm Syndrome. It's going to cost £25,000 to make. And guess what? She wants your cash. But in return for your contribution, you can expect anything from a signed copy of the DVD to an invitation to the premiere and after party. The story follows a kidnapped graduate who develops an attachment to her captor filmmaker jennifer drewitt joins me in the studio now good morning jennifer hi thank you for coming in i believe you've had a bit of a long journey even yeah. though you're from high Wycombe.
6: <laughs> yeah it's it's really weird like the um the early tra- the early stream i could get um in the morning wouldn't have got me here until about eight in the morning oh and goodness. It, so we've been way too late so i had to leave my house at 10 o'clock this e- um, this e- in the evening uh, to get the train at half past 11 at night
0: but so where have you been for that last six hours
6: oh goodness traveling <laughs>
0: Wow. Well, thank you very much for coming in. It's much appreciated. Why do you want to make this film?
6: I think a lot of the issues that are raised within the actual film are things that are not really raised enough and they, th- these actual topics don't get treated with the sensitivity and respect I think it kind of deserves. Mm. A lot of the time when when these sort of stories come up a lot, you know, particularly in the news, there'll be a massive thing for about a month, a week, and then that's it. Mm. And it's like it's not sort of touched again whilst I think, you know, there are a lot of issues that need covering and i think you know for a lot of filmmakers it's a scary sort of subject to cover so you know and but i like to think that you know as long if we're covering this and we're giving it the sensitivity it deserves then you know we're going to be able to start conversations and maybe help someone along the line
0: so just for those that don't know stockholm syndrome is when you're kind of like held captive or something and you develop an empathy or even sometimes a relationship with the person who's yes. holding you captive why is that story important to you
6: um it's important because you know although the story follows someone who gets kidnapped and is in a sort of in actual physical captivity it's you know it's not a situation dissimilar to other situations that you know in you know in in relationships that sort of follow you know someone who can't quite leave someone even though you know they're not that nice to them or they're sort of keeping yep. them there against their will you know it's 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 a very important subject and I think it's something that is kind of It's sort of discussed a little bit, but it's sort of sensationalized, Mm -hmm. and it's a case of, you know, it's, it's. It's a fascinating subject, and I think, you know, it underscores a lot of different issues.
0: You want £25,000 in my money? Yeah. (laughs) Why should I give give it to you?
6: Um, Because, well, as I was saying with the issues, you know, it's it's those sort of issues that need covering, and they need to have a discussion, but it's also, you know, one of the reasons we want to film in Buckinghamshire, apart from the fact that we live there, you know, it's a really good... Well, that does help, yes. (laughs) But it's a really, it's a wonderful area, and it's not really used that much within film. I was researching, and there and there weren't that many films that actually used Buckinghamshire at all. And I thought that's an absolute shame because it's a really nice area. Superman like, Four, lot. yeah, Superman Four. that was like one or that was, two. That was the
0: Milton Keynes station, wasn't it? I think it was yeah. in Superman Four. That's the only one I could think of.
6: Yeah, that was literally it. And I was just like, right, you do. Really- Buckinghamshire is not only quite big, but it's a nice area. Plus, also, it's a quite a sort of quaint area and it's always, one of the things that strikes me whenever this little thing happens it they sort of go oh well this place is such a lovely mm. normal place you wouldn't think it happened and yet it's happened in this area so and I think Buckinghamshire does fit, fit the bill quite nicely hey
0: listen I've been <laughs> in a movie I have been in a movie uh? with, with Angelina Jolie it was a rubbish movie and I was in it for <laughs> 60 seconds but I got to meet her and she gave me a kiss but <laughs> I know for a fact that 25,000 pounds is not enough to make a film
6: well I don't know I mean you, it, a lot of the people who are doing it are doing it, you know, off their own backs, they're volunteering to do that, and they they literally will do it for quite little pay, they'll do it for the love of it more than anything else, yeah. but it's also covering things like, you know, equipment, it's it's we're going for quite a high target in terms of small term production company because, you know, we need to get the equipment things yeah. like cameras and lighting and all that sort of stuff, but then at the same time, it yeah, you know, like you said it is quite small, but then, this, you know, you don't need, like, multi-millions to make a film if right. you know what you're doing and you know where to go, you can make it you know not that cheap expensive at all i say that now and i just you know and it's like well why don't you have the 25 grand it's just like i don't
0: hey not <laughs> everyone has a spare 25 grand hanging around only. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice uh, have you got anyone famous in it
6: no but oh. they probably will be famous after this okay <laughs> hey, i've what you've
0: done uh, uh, can i be in it um, if you want yeah <laughs> have i got to pay you to be in it
6: no no you, you don't want to <laughs> are,
0: are, are you re- are there gonna be a lot of people volunteering are you relying on kind of local people to help you out as well um
6: some of them yeah i mean the um because this is the debut film for my um production company tamakarita productions yep. and it's me and my two friends who are also my housemates um edward miller and hannah wollaston and yep. they're Buckinghamshire locals as well we've got a local what well, at least one local actor in who has been cast yeah um we've potentially more to come along we've got a couple of you know prof- film professionals you know, who have done small-time things, who are part of the crew now. It's you know, So we've got quite a lot of local... And also in Hertfordshire as well. Um, the first uh, assistant director um, is actually a student at the University of um, Hertfordshire.
0: So. Have you ever made a film before? Because I don't want to yes. give you my £25,000 if you're just some cowboy.
6: Oh, no, I'm no cowboy. Um, in fact, actually, I'm in post-production for my, da- for my feature film I made in Cardiff. Okay. And I made a short film last year, which you can find on YouTube
0: tell,
7: tell
6: um, us how
0: to find it because some people might want to go and look at that yeah and if it's any good
6: yeah they might go
0: oh i'll, I'll give her 50 quid then
6: okay so if you want but, to f- but yeah. if it's
0: no good they might not give you anything so just it,
6: it, it's good it's good okay go on then let's have <laughs> a lot of good people behind it um it's called walk away and how you can find it, just type in walk away and then um my name which would be jennifer Druitt. Druitt spelled drewe A lot of people spell it with an I, so it's it's an E. (laughs)
0: Definitely an E. Uh, You want to start filming in March? Yes. It's not that far to go. How confident are you you're going to be ready for that?
6: Pretty confident, actually. Yeah? I I, I feel pretty confident. You know, we've gone, you know, we're very organised on this, and we've got, you know, if something doesn't quite work out, we've always got a backup plan. We've got things in place to make sure that if something was to go wrong, we're sorted. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm very confident. You know, I have a lot of faith in the people who are part of it at the moment and i have a lot of faith in this production i have a lot of faith in this project and you know i'm i am incredibly confident
0: (laughs) jennifer what's your favorite film now quick first first thing call attentions what? cruel intentions. For a second, I thought you said cool. Uh, cool running. The, <laughs> Sorry, no. I,
6: I was trying to think really quickly. <laughs>
0: that's, that's a, the first answer is, is is always the correct answer. Uh, how can people donate? What's the website that they can go to?
6: Okay, so they can go to www.indiegogo.com which is i n d i e g o g o. dot com, yep. and then it's forward slash Stockholm Syndrome the film, which okay. is all one one word.
0: Yeah. Okay. I once asked someone for for, the, for a web address, and he went h t T-P <laughs> forward... Oh, my goodness, hey, <laughs> Excellent. So just give it out one more time so people know where to go.
6: Oh, uh, the website? Yeah, go on. Yeah, so it's www.indiegogo.com forward slash Stockholm Syndrome the film.
0: Excellent. G- uh, good luck. Thank I, you. Seriously, I want to partner it. And I don't want to speak like in the back of a pub drinking a pint. I want to come on and say words. I've yeah. been in the film with Angelina Jolie. How could you turn down this offer? <laughs>
6: I, I'm not going to. I, just could, seriously. I could probably get her
0: to be in it as well if you wanted. I couldn't. No. <laughs> Listen, best luck. Thank you very much. That's Jennifer Druitt, uh, who is hoping to get £25,000 to make a movie. Best of luck with that.
1: Across beds, hearts and barks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good
0: morning, coming up in the next half an hour. Bus services should be improved for the blind. That's according to a Milton Keynes woman. We'll be finding out why. And here's an interesting one. When did you last cry? Apparently we're a nation of blubbers, particularly the men... I, I, I will be honest here, dear listener. I'm a crybaby. I cry. I cry all the time. I once cried at a McDonald's advert. It was. It was quite a powerful advert. It was about a couple splitting up. I, I cry all the time. What was the? When was the last time I cried? Let me have a think, and I'll get back to you. But you can let me know, please. When was the last time you cried? Eight one three double three. Starting your text three cr, or give us a call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I think when you become a parent, you become even more susceptible to crying i had a little tea yesterday in my eye when uh, we were speaking to the mother of that girl that got ne- knocked down but i cry at random stuff i'm always crying at, at, at the tv and oh god maybe i need to man up oh wait, four, five, nine, four, double five five double five now a woman from milton Keynes is calling for improved bus services for the blind padma Cherian has limited sight and can only see shapes she says some buses do not stop and she doesn't know when to get off. This morning, the RNIB has launched a national campaign to highlight the problems that those with sight loss suffer when catching a bus. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, went out with Padma yesterday and tried to catch a bus in Bletchley. She started by asking her how she normally copes.
8: This particular stop, which is the nearest stop to me, there are four different buses come here, and I can't tell you which route it is because I cannot see the number. And the drivers sometimes... They say, can't you see the number? They see my white cane. No, I can't see, I'm blind. So they tell me the number. If I ask them, does this bus go to Springfield, they nod, which I can't see if they nod. So the driver, again, I don't drivers as individual people. If they are not trained properly, they wouldn't know how to deal with disabled people.
9: And what about when you're actually on the bus? What happens then when you want to get off?
8: Usually, I request the driver, could you please announce the stop for me? Sometimes they remember. Sometimes, Very often, especially when the bus is full, they forget. And then Robert, what happens to you? What happens to me? I depend on other dra- co-passengers to tell me. Sometimes I miss a stop. Again, if I'm going to the city centre, because I make that journey so often, I know, but... I can't count the stops, because suppose it stops for traffic lights. Mm. To me, it is a stop. So I can't really say I'm nine stops away from city centre, ten stops away. I can't do that.
9: Do you wave your white stick out into the, into yes. the road?
8: Yeah. Well, I have to, don't I? Because if I am I have to put it in front of me. Otherwise, I could trip over. And I do go like this, but they don't <laughs> stop. A,
9: there is a bus coming. Oh, is there? I can't see what number it is yet, but I'm going to no, stand no. back. Yeah. See what happens. So tell me what happened when the bus stopped, what did you say
8: to the bus driver? Uh, do you go to Springfield? And he nodded. So I had to ask again, I'm sorry I can't see if you nod yes or no, then he said yes.
9: So that's how you know that this is a bus number four because I didn't yeah. tell you. No. no. <laughs> so to get off the bus the driver will announce hopefully the stop hopefully. for you. Is this Springfield? Yes yeah, Alright.
8: Good job I asked. If you hadn't have asked just then, how would you have known to get off the bus? Especially at night. I mean, at least now I can see it is slightly different, so I can see the shape. I know this is near Tesco.
9: Well, to be honest, if you hadn't have asked, I actually wouldn't have known to get off here either.
8: That's what I'm campaigning for. What I'm saying to uh, a council, if they have audio, visual announcement on bus stops, it is not just the blind people, hearing impaired people who are benefited, it is the visitors Because we want more people to visit Milton Keynes and spend their money.
0: Excellent report there. Thank you, Victoria. Arriva buses weren't available for comment on this story. Milton Keynes Council has sent us a statement to say the following. We are responsible for the bus infrastructure in Milton Keynes, including bus stops and shelters. However, the Council only awards contracts for subsidised bus services. 80% of buses are run commercially, i.e. without subsidy, and the Council does not control those through a contractual relationship. In the next couple of years, we are looking at installing audio-visual next-stop displays on Arriva buses in Milton Keynes, using better bus fund grants the displays would show the name of and announce the next stop but of course this will only help people already on the bus well it's, it's interesting isn't it? one of those things that, that if you are cited i guess you don't think about it. i never considered it uh, a, a, a problem. Um, well, Padma's going to be joining us in the studio later on this morning. Uh, and I do want to hear from you on this. If you have a visual impairment, how do you feel travelling on buses? Do you agree with Padma? Have you noticed that it can be hard to get the buses to stop and the drivers are not particularly helpful? Hey, listen, they're not always that helpful to the sighted the passengers as well. Oh eight four five nine. 455 555. If you're partially sighted or blind or whatever the case may be, how do you find travelling on buses? Is it a problem for you? Phil Collins, one more night. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. You can give me a call this morning if you want. 08459 455 555. I know you'll have an opinion on this, because wherever you look, there is no shortage of people crying, always weeping on the X Factor. Even the golfers were blubbing at the Ryder Cup. But aren't we uh, famous for our British reserve? Last night on BBC Two, there was a new series called Stiff Upper Lip, an emotional history of Britain that was aired. It was presented by Ian Hislop, who believes it's a trait that's had a positive impact on British character. But what do you think? Is it better to keep things buttoned up, or should we let those emotions flow at the drop of a hat? Well, Philip Hudson is a psychologist and author of the book Men, an Investigation into the Emotional Male. Good morning, Philip. Hello, Ian. Are we becoming a nation of crybabies?
5: We're becoming more expressive, or, or what you could say, with the permission of Ian Hislop, of course, is that we're going back to how we used to be before the Victorian Empire imposed a kind of parade duty on us that we had to keep a stiff upper lip under all circumstances uh nothing wrong with a stiff upper lip in a crisis we all want one you know if somebody breaks into your house you obviously don't want to dissolve into tears you want to deal with a problem but um what's good about um always reacting with a stiff upper lip even when somebody says you know you're going to have a baby or um i love you or
0: um your mother's died the thing is, we are a little bit softer these days, aren't we? Because uh, you we're know, different. Yeah, we are different. But, but back in back in say my granddad, right? If he had some traumatic experience, he wouldn't go to a counsellor. He probably wouldn't even talk to my nan about it. But now we'll go to counsellors. Men are hugging all the time and telling their mates how they, they love them and how they feel. Is it a good progression that we've gone this way?
5: Well, you couldn't have gone to a counsellor in your grandfather's day because there weren't any. Uh, if you'd got a you
0: problem, you got me on technicality there, Philip. Well done. <laughs>
5: yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you might have gone to see the vicar and have a you know a heart to heart about something. But yeah. you know, people have always had the same feelings and the same problems. The question is, how do we process them? And. As I say, in in the past, between roughly, you know, 1800 and 1930, we were on parade all the time, mm. is my phrase for it, and the stiff upper lip, nothing, nothing stiffer than, you know, during World War I, when millions of men were being minced, but you really couldn't actually... Try, try to shed a public tear about it anymore. You had to not let the side down. Well, there- we've gone from that yeah. to saying that this is a much more personal world now. We don't have to worry too much about all the time what other people think of us. If we are upset, we show it. I think there's also a very important distinction between Um, tears, I mean if you've just won uh, your first ever major slam at tennis like Andy Murray you've actually done the hard yards if somebody says, well he shouldn't cry, maybe you should also recognise the fact he's got the grit to win he is a winner already Mm. and if you're distressed because he's got tears, maybe it's your problem.
0: Philip, your dad trained you not to cry, is that true? (laughs)
5: When I was 10, I think is what you're referring to, I cut my hand very badly and I had to have four stitches without anesthetic. Don't ask me why they didn't, you know, why they rationed the anesthetic, <laughs> but I had four stitches. That was eight puncture wounds with a needle in the hand. And yeah. I, at the age of 10, my father took me to the hospital after after work and he said, now, he said, if you're really brave and don't cry, I'm going to give you a very special reward. <laughs> yes. Son be a man. So I endured from Sister Harris was her name. I remember it, because it was obviously a trauma. And I'm looking at the scar on my hand now, and... I went through all this. At the end of it, he gave me my very first cigarette.
0: At the age of ten? the age of oh, ten. now, listen. <laughs> That's a fantastic reward. <laughs> well done, him. Philip, listen, we're out of time. I could talk to you all morning. Absolutely fascinating. That's Philip Hudson. He's a psychologist and author of the book Men, An Investigation into the Emotional Male. I'm getting a copy of that later on. That sounds like a cracking read. Thank you, Philip. Are, are we a nation of crybabies? Do you... Gentlemen, I, I want to address you separately here. Gentlemen, do you cry? When was the last time you cry? you cried. Have a little think and be honest. 08459 455 555. And women, do you like your men crying? Do you find them sensitive, more in touch with their emotions? Or do you prefer them to be a bit tough, a bit more manly? It's 6.46, it's Wednesday the 3rd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government's overturned its decision to award the West Coast Rail franchise to first, admitting its own civil servants got their maths wrong and it's reopening the bidding process. Police are using thermal imaging equipment to try to find the five-year-old April Jones missing from her home in Mid Wales since Monday night. In sport, Pakistan's cricketers reach the semi finals of the ICC World 2020, where they'll face the host Sri Lanka. And your weather across beds, hearts, and bucks, a bright start, but we're in for some showers later. Some of those heavy, top temperature, 14 degrees. And coming up, what's the longest amount of time you've stayed in one job? Can you beat John Warren? He worked at a company in Tring for more than 71 years. Hear more next. BBC
1: Three Counties Radio.
0: You, t- you, 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 took, you took money from a homeless man.
1: Roberto Peroni. Weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties <laughs> I love that Radio. Line.
0: You took money from a homeless man. <laughs> Roberto sounds so disgusting. Uh, we, we've been talking this morning and we will talk again uh, about the uh, decision not to necessarily award the, the West Coast train franchise to first. They're going to recount the bids and do it all again, basically. Someone messed up. Nick in Hitchin has texted him. 81333, starting his text, 3CR. The West Coast train fiasco. Two questions. First, where does the £10 million fee go? I think each company has to pay something like £10 million just to submit their bid. Secondly, what will happen to the civil servant that approved of it? Who knows? No names, no pack drill. 08459 double five five double five. Now, this is an incredible story. Think back. What's the longest amount of time you've stayed in one job? The longest job I ever had was four years. And I remember getting to a year and thinking, whoa, I've been working in this place for a year. Well, you may struggle to beat John Warren. He worked for G. Grace and Son in Tring, get this, for more than 71 years. When John passed away last year, he was still working at the age of 85, probably making him one of the oldest people to have a Saturday job in the country. Well, Gilbert Grace is the owner of the company where John worked. He's on the line now. Good morning, Gilbert. Good morning. 71 years. He must have loved his job.
10: Yeah, that, that's not 100% right. That, uh, he started with us um, 71 years ago. Right. But there was a period when, uh, when he, did, he did leave in his midlife, if you like. Okay. But in fact, he's, he started with us and he finished with us.
0: Okay. So how, how long... Hang on a minute. Let everyone back away from this for a second. How long was he away from the company?
10: Um, about 25 years, so that still left something like 40, 40 odd years, uh, 44
0: years with us. Why did he come back if he if he left? What was the reason? Uh, he,
10: he went. I personally went to work in London, um, so that there may not have been a future for him. So he went to scammel Trucks in Watford. And uh, they actually ceased uh, production at Watford in 1988.
0: But he must have started working Gilbert when he was like 14 or something. Uh, No, uh, 16. Okay.
10: In 1941. Okay. That was for my grandfather.
0: So I'm trying to get my head around this timeline. It's so confusing. When did you uh, first meet John Warren Gilbert? Uh,
10: 1947, when he came back out of the army. He did, uh, I believe, two years in Burma. Yeah. And um, I was working in a workshop upstairs, and um, I heard this motorbike come up uh, Service Road. And in those years, obviously, I was keen on motorbikes. And uh, that's when I first met him, in 47.
0: Was he a bit of a character? Yes. Quite quite nervous, uh, but very caring. And he was still working at the age of 85. That's incredible.
10: Well, um... That was just on a uh, on a Saturday delivery. Right. Basically, uh, the delivery truck is a three um, three seater, yeah. and it used to sit in the middle, and he had the papers to where they were going to go and collect the money and things of that nature. That's
0: got to be the oldest Saturday boy in the world, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's right. Apparently he was scared of mice, and you used to wind him up about this. Oh, uh, yes.
10: We, we, we had a service pit, um, and if he was down down there, we, we would sort of suggest, is, is, is that a mouse down there, John? And oh, he would leap out of the pit. <laughs> you know, he's generally frightened, and uh, we were a bit cruel in winding him
0: up, I'm afraid. Gilbert, uh, c- c- you still work there, do you? Yes. And can I ask how old you are, sir? I'm 75. 75. And you've got a 77-year-old working with you. Uh,
10: Yes. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Peter Flitney. He he started in 1950.
0: (laughs) You must have the best employee benefits ever. This is amazing that you've got these these, these people that are prepared to stay with you and and work long past their pension. How do you do it, Gilbert? Why is your place such a good place to work?
10: It's very much a family business. Um... And I could say wives become involved as well. My wife uh, uh, Julie works in in the in the business. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, we think about each other's family um, quite a bit. There's there's three others that have done over thirty years. Uh, Peter's son Paul. He's done over thirty. Uh, Judith Orell, who's on the finance, she, she's
0: been over 30. So it sounds like a pretty good place to work. Listen, Gilbert, thank you so much for coming on the line. Let's, Gilbert Grace there, the owner of G. Grace and Son in Tring, uh, where John Warren worked on and off for 71 years, with a little break in the middle, which I think is fair enough. He was working until he was 85. He passed away a little while ago. I'm asking you this morning, what's the longest you've worked in one place? Uh, we've got Phil in St Albans. Good morning, Phil. Morning, Aaron. how are you doing? I'm very well, Phil. What's the longest you've worked in one place? Well, I've been at the same firm since I was 13 years old at the moment. So, about 19 years, I've been there now. You've got, you've still got a long way to go to beat John Warren. You started when you were 13.
11: Yeah,
12: Where? yeah, in the pit at a
0: young age. What? So, what were you? What are you doing? What's your job?
11: Um, I'm a wholesale grocer, so uh, supply sort of pubs, clubs, restaurants, that sort of thing.
0: Were you allowed to work at the age of 13? just a Saturday job then, just, you know. Uh, I, I think it was... Up. I got a, a Saturday job at B-Jams, which is long gone, when I was 15. I remember they had to fudge... B-Jams. the B-Jams. The manager had to fudge the paperwork to get me... to, to pretend I was 16 to get the job. Oh,
11: uh, we don't have anything like paperwork, <laughs> not even in these days. Right? It's a
0: it's, it's like, it's Victorian sort of workplace. And that's yeah. the way it should be. Phil, kids these days don't know they're born. Let's send them all up chimneys at the age of nine, shall we? Absolutely. Phil, listen, thank you very much. Phil and Silwans. Well Phil's nineteen years. He's been working in one place. Can anyone beat that? What's the longest you've worked in one place? O eight four five nine four double five five double five. On the converse, what's the shortest you've worked in a place as well? I bet we can find someone who's worked for a week. Can we find someone who lasted about five minutes in a job? 08459 455 555. It's Beatles Day on Friday. Oh, very exciting. Don't forget, I want your tenuous Beatles links, please. The the more vague, the more distant, the better. You send an email to 3 cr. At bbc.co.uk Mark them Ian Lee, Beatles Day And uh, we'll read the best ones out on Friday Well BBC Introducing has got involved as well And today we're going to play Tomorrow Never Knows Which was released by the Beatles in 1966 On Revolver Their best album ever But this is a cover version by Zoe Phillips from Hertfordshire It's very nice isn't it Zoe Phillips with her unique interpretation of Tomorrow Never Knows from Revolver, 1966. Easily the best Beatles album. Not Sgt Pepper. Totally overrated. Don't you think? Of course it is. Uh, we're talking about The Last Time You Cried. We've got a, t- a text from Nick, 81333. He started his text 3CR. Ian, I fill up with tears of joy every time I check my bans- bank balance. It's all mine since I got divorced. on Nick. 08459 oh, five, 455 double, 555 double, is the telephone number the longest you've worked in one company or the shortest and when was the last time you had a little cry lots coming up in the next hour including Conservative MP for Milton Keynes South Ian Stewart and this whole rail fiasco we'll have all of that and more after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Here until nine o'clock, plenty coming up in the next hour, including the West Coast mainline deal with First Group has been sensationally scrapped. How has this happened and how is it going to affect you? We'll be hearing about a bereavement counselling centre for kids and blind people are struggling to use buses in beds, hearts and bucks. Find out why later. As always, your input is greatly appreciated. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call 08459 455 555.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Now, if you catch the train from Watford or Milton Keynes on the West Coast Mainline, you will have been used to getting on a virgin service. From December, First Group was due to take over. Well, now the decision to award the franchise to First Group has been scrapped, and the government says the bidding process must be rerun. Ministers say there were significant technical flaws in the way the risks for each bid were calculated. Well, Conservative MP for Milton Keynes South, Ian Stewart, also sits on the Transport Select Committee, and he joins me now. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. Bit of a mess, isn't it? Well, I'm rather surprised
13: by the announcement. Uh, we had uh, the Secretary of State uh, before the committee just a few weeks ago uh, and we were under the impression that uh, the, the bidding process, although it was controversial, um, was done fairly and properly. Um, so other than what I've heard on the news today, I'm not quite sure what's gone wrong.
7: Well,
0: Labour are calling it a fiasco and it, it is, isn't it? Well, as I'm, I'm, I'm not.
13: I don't have the knowledge of exactly what these technical flaws are. Um, there's been obviously a change in Secretary of State recently, um, so it might be that he's relooked at the the process and uh, seen there was a technical flaw and decided that it must be rerun. Uh, but the Select Committee will be uh, asking him to come back uh, to so we can quiz on what's what's happened.
0: How closely linked is this decision with the Transport Select Committee?
13: Well, I mean, we, we the select committees don't have the power to decide. Uh, you know what government does. Our role is a scrutiny one, uh, so that we can look in depth at what's happened and what should happen. Uh, so we like to think that we've got some influence, but we don't actually have any technical powers.
0: I just find it slightly odd that if you're on the transport select committee, that you don't know anything about this.
13: Well, see, the, the news broke o- overnight. Um, I haven't had a chance to speak to the chairman. It might be that she's had uh, further information. Uh, but so I only found out about this uh, late last night.
0: But I, I get, doesn't it strike you as odd that we found out at the same time as you? I would have thought you would have heard about this, you know, before it got to the press.
13: Uh, well, uh, you, you might think that, but, uh, you know, I personally haven't been uh, contacted about it. But the... S- some have had a chance to speak
0: Someone of. got their sums wrong. That seems to be the case. How is that possible?
13: Well, I mean, it's it's difficult uh, for for us to make an assessment on that because the because of commercial sensitivity, uh, the details of both the Virgin bid and the first group bid weren't made public. Uh, neither company knew what the others had uh, put in. I took the view the first group bid was certainly more ambitious and consequently riskier. But if you looked at the underlying assumptions that they'd made, uh, it was I thought it was deliverable, um, but. Clearly, something's gone wrong somewhere, and, and we need to find out what that was.
0: How much does each company have to, to pay to put forward a bid?
13: Well, they, 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 because of the West Coast main Line is a profitable one, um, each, the, the successful company will pay a premium to uh, the Department for Transport. But doesn't, he, uh, doesn't for, each company
0: prop- that, that puts in a bid have to pay several million pounds just to put in the bid?
13: Well, yeah, I mean, they, they've got their, their their internal costs to, you know, to submit the bid, like any company has if it wants to bid for a, a commercial tender. And how much is that? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't have a, a figure for that. It's, it's relatively small in, given the, the overall costs of I thought the it was franchise. around like
0: £10, 10 million. Pounds. Is that not right? It may be.
13: I, I don't have those figures to hand. £10
0: million pounds isn't small, Ian. It's huge. Well,
13: if you look at the, 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 the total value of the, the bid over 15 years is about £7.5 So £10 million is a you know, fairly small amount of money uh, if you look at it in most terms. Has the government
0: backed down to the mighty Richard Branson?
13: I don't believe so. Um, you know, but certainly my my judgment of it was that both Virgin and First Group had put in uh Deliverable bids. Uh, the first group one was more ambitious, certainly, uh, and I'd say consequently so consequently riskier. So, will someone uh, say
0: it was? It, it was, you know, just it, they could never meet those figures. It was, it was too ambitious just to get the the, the well, deal.
13: I, I don't accept that. Um, if you look over the the both bids over the fifteen years, for the first ten years they were broadly similar. Uh, Virgin then calculated that the increase in demand would would level off and first calculated it would continue over the the lifetime. So we're only talking about a difference towards the end of the franchise. Do we
0: need need more consistency, in with the the Transport Secretary?
13: It's a separate argument, but I I do agree with that. Um, If you look at uh, who's been Transport Secretary under governments of both colours for the last 30 years, they've changed quite rapidly. And transport's an issue that requires long-term strategic thinking. Uh, So I would certainly make the case that uh, whoever is Transport Secretary, in whatever colour of government, should be there for some time.
0: There are around 15 rail franchises that are due to be decided before the next general election. Now the whole process is, is thrown in doubt. What's going to happen to those?
13: Well, there's two inquiries that have been announced. One is to look specifically at what's happened with the West Coast bid. Uh, The other is looking at the franchise bidding uh, process in general. Um, So you are right, there are a number of others that are due up over the next couple of years. Um, So I think it's sensible to look at the issue as a whole uh, before proceeding with those.
0: Who's going to take over the trains in December? Is, Is there going to be a national rail service on that line?
13: Well, the Secretary of State has powers, what are known as directly operated railways, uh, to take over temporarily the running of a franchise. So passengers shouldn't see any difference. It'll be the same trains with the same drivers and crew on the same timetables. So those powers are there. They have been used before quite successfully. Um, So passengers shouldn't see any difference.
0: Finally, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, for you lot? Well... I'm
13: not uh, a member of the government. I'm on the select committee. Uh, So, you know, I am concerned about what's happened, uh, and I'll be, with my colleagues, I'll be looking into into what's gone wrong.
0: Ian Stewart, thank you very much indeed. That's Ian Stewart, who's MP for Milton Keynes South. We've got on the line now Tony Miles from the Modern Railways magazine. Morning, Tony. What do you make of all this? I'm astounded at some of those answers I've just listened to, so there we go. Um, We wrote in our editorial in our magazine that only came
14: out last Friday, this is no way to be uh, letting franchises. So um, it, it's kind of, um, uh, we're, we're, and we had an awful lot of calls from within the industry saying you're absolutely right. So, uh, what, what's
0: wrong with the with the system at the, the moment? Then the way it's it's set up.
14: Well, the the, the way it's run at the moment um, is particularly companies bidding are uh, required to second guess what kind of inflation there will be over maybe ten, thirteen, fifteen years, depending on the life of the franchise, mm-hmm. and to get it absolutely right. They're required to guess how many more people can be um, attracted to the railways over that time. Um, and uh, they're required to guess what kind of competition there will be. They have to guess what, what fuel costs will be in terms of maybe the competition, like roads and so on. Um, and, and guess all that for the whole of the life of the franchise, and then bet how much money they can make out of it.
0: Tony, say that. I've just been told that Ian Stewart is still there. Ian, it's all guesswork and betting. My, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't
13: believe it's all guesswork. You... Have, um, if you look at what's happened before, the West Coast Main Line has seen considerable growth over the last uh, 10, 12 years or so. Uh, and if you look at population growth along the line, uh, I think it's entirely reasonable and possible to, to estimate what's going to happen in the future.
14: Tony? Well, well, it, it is difficult, and that, that's why um, that, that's why trying to guess is so is, is such a crazy way of doing it, um, because because people are, are trying to guess what's going to happen, um, and uh, generally they've got it wrong. Interestingly, the government's own company directly operated railways, which is running the East Coast franchise, uh, has got its figures wrong in just two years, and its latest figures show that it's forty million pounds below where it promised it would be. So, and, and that's just on a two-year guess.
0: And Tony, so so- you were saying that, that, that your team and your readers suspected there will be a problem for quite a while.
14: Well, we, we just thought that, that so many companies have got it wrong in the past, and as, as several of m- the main franchises are receiving government support because uh, they got the money wrong and the government's having to, to prop up where they got the maths wrong. That clearly carrying on doing it that way. that j- just seemed like, like madness, and people within the industry have been contacting us sometimes saying, please don't say who I am, but... This this just can't go on like this. We need to find a better way if we're going to let franchises where where we take this kind of silly guesswork out and and make it genuinely something that can be delivered over the 13 years uh, that that sort of evaluates how inflation goes, how the competition goes, etc.
0: Mr. Stewart, in, g- company insiders in the industry are saying it's madness. Are you going to listen to them?
13: Well, uh, the the whole franchise process is is being reviewed as well. Um the you know, have been in the past, but we are looking at having longer franchises, for example, uh, which will allow <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Ian Stewart, we've lost you, I'm afraid, Ian Stewart, MP for Milton <laughs> Keynes South. We lost him, Tony, never mind. H- wh- wh- how are passengers going to be affected by this, Tony?
14: They, they won't be affected at all, because right. um, whether the, the government steps in and takes over uh, from December the 9th, or, or it even has an option to, to renegotiate with Virgin and ask it to carry on for another 18 months, mm-hmm. that, that's still somewhere lurking in the back of a contract it has with Virgin, but either way... Um, The trains carry on from uh, one o'clock in the morning on December the 9th when when the existing agreement ends. so that's not a problem. The fares stay the same uh, or will, you know, if they go up in January, they'll they'll go up as they would whoever had been in charge. So there's absolutely no problem. In fact, there's one or two extra trains being introduced in, in, in the December timetable, uh, whoever takes over. So it, that's not a problem. It, it's, it's really just a, a question of whether finally um, the government has woken up and realised that the way it's been doing it, Uh, can't continue Uh, and interestingly it does appear from the government's announcement it's it's odd member remember the select committee hadn't read it but Mm. it says that uh, mistakes were made in the way in which inflation and passenger numbers were taken into account and how much money bidders were then asked to guarantee as a result. That's what the DFT said which is exactly what Virgin's legal challenge was going to be had they gone to court in two weeks time.
0: Tony uh, Miles from Modern Railways magazine, thank you very much and before that uh, we heard uh, Conservative MP from Milton Keynes South, Ian Stewart. I've been asking you this morning, what do you want from your trains and on twitter um spock in thornaby says i want a urine drunk and nutter free traveling experience which does not cost the price of a small family car that would be nice Good morning, this is Ian Lee BBC Three Counties Radio 7.16 On Wednesday the 3rd of October These are your headlines this morning The government has cancelled its decision to award The running of the West Coast Mainline to First Group After finding technical flaws In the way the contract was decided Teams of specialist officers Have been searching through the night for April Jones The five-year-old girl abducted In mid-Wales In sport, Watford won their second successive Championship match with a 2-1 victory At Charlton, despite the first half dismissal of Fernando Forestieri. It's close enough, I think. Coming up, we'll hear from a blind woman in Milton Keynes who's campaigning for a better bus service for the blind. When she waves down a bus, she's not so sure if it's the bus she wants. And when she's on it, the driver often forgets to tell her when she's reached her stop. Find out what she wants done.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Ah, good morning. My voice is... It's it's holding up. we will be all right until nine o'clock, but it's getting deeper, isn't it? And that's uh, just for you, ladies out there. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You heard us just t- talking there about the, um, well, the fast really. That's the West Coast um, the franchise that was going to be given o- given over to First. It belonged with Virgin, and now the government are going. Well, actually, hang on a second. Someone's done their maths wrong. We might have a slightly flawed system. Rob's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Rob. Hi. Good morning. What do you make of all this? Um, I think it's absolutely ridiculous.
15: Um, I, mean, I travel with, uh, with Virgin Trains daily, uh, albeit between Birmingham and London and, and Milton Keynes. Um, the numbers speak for themselves. It's a sustainable business. There's a great team behind it. They've over doubled the passenger numbers. Yes, fares have gone up, as everything has. Um, and it, it just shows what a, what a mockery the government have made of, of this whole bid process. And, and it does beg the question, if they, they're getting our rail travel wrong, what else
0: are they? Mm. It does seem incredible that when such huge sums of money are involved, that someone somewhere has made a mistake like this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely,
15: and uh, I, I think that Virgin have been very courageous, uh, and uh, I think the hundred and seventy thousand or so people that have uh, signed the e-petition hmm. uh, have, you know, that that's real testament to, to what Virgin's achieved over the, over the uh, course of this franchise.
0: A lot of people were saying, Rob, oh, Richard Branson, come on, get over it, you lost the bid, but it, it turns out that maybe he he had a point.
15: Absolutely. Um, I mean, the the Richard Branson is uh, is, is fantastically successful, as uh, as, as everybody will uh, will will appreciate. Um, but at the end of the day, he delivers great brands and sustainable businesses. So, absolutely, he had a point. And. Uh, Again, I think that uh, as he was so passionate in, in delivering the truth, uh, then absolutely
0: good for him. Rob, thank you very much. Robin Milton Keynes. We've been asking as well, what's the longest and indeed the shortest job you've ever had? Got a few texts on these. Dave the Thatch says, I've been thatching for 42 years. I've been working for myself since July 1976. 36 years. That's not bad going, is it? Uh, Ian, I worked for Radio Rentals. Radio Rentals. I'm kind of guessing they're not going anymore. For nearly 25 and a half years, from 1965 to 1991, and was there when colour TV first became available, and also the first video recorders. Exciting times, Fred from Bushy. I love those odd video recorders, those big, chunky top loaders. And on the subject of the shortest job, this isn't bad, Phil says, My son could not wait to leave school and start work. He gave his notice in four days later because it was so boring. So four days is the shortest job we've got. Can we find somebody, listening to this, who has had a job for less than four days? 81333, start your text, 3CR. Bill. If you've lost a loved one, you'll know how much of an impact it can have on your life. Well, it can be difficult to imagine what it must be like if you're a child going through the same thing. CHUMS, a Bedfordshire-based child bereavement and trauma service, tries to help children who've suffered a loss. They say they could help even more children if they had more funds. Since leaving the NHS a year ago, the service has increased its users by 300% and their staff have gone up by 11 to 38. However, in beds alone, the Emotional Wellbeing Service has almost 50 referrals a month more than they can handle. Our reporter Sophie Solaria went to visit the organisation based in Rest Park to find out about the work they do.
16: Ruby, how old were you when your dad died? Uh, seven. Can you remember that time? Uh, not really. It was more like a big blur now. I wanted to know more about how my dad died so we went to the doctors and then they gave my mum like the number for chums and then we just kind of came here. When we came in it was like this massive hall and there was like this one long table with loads of children around it and we had to do paint a picture and we had scribbled on this big sheet of paper and we threw clay at it. It was like getting our anger out which really helped. It kind of made it a lot clearer.
17: I'm going to introduce you to David now who's our clinical psychologist Come
18: in
5: A lot of the families that come to my bit of the service uh, would have been bereaved through murder through manslaughter or suicide or other sudden and unexpected deaths
1: how do you talk a child through that process? It's just unimaginable.
5: It, it is unimaginable. But one of the things I notice is that children and often the families, they desperately want to talk about it. And one of the problems is a lot of people around them don't want to hear about it or they don't know how to talk about it or they're worried they might make it worse. So they come to hear so, to someone who is used to hearing these sorts of stories and quite often they want to talk about it.
19: I'm Louise. My husband died five years ago quite suddenly although he'd previously had cancer and within a couple of weeks i think the gp had recommended chums and there was a teenage group that me and ella visited it was really hard to walk in we found it very hard to make the decision to go but really things were so bad at that point, nothing really could have made it any worse. So we thought we'd give it a go and I went in with the parents. Ella stayed with the teenagers. And when we both came out, mm-hmm. it was really lovely. It was she very was positive. really really positive. It was nice for her to mix with other teenagers or other children, the same as her. And mm-hmm. for me to talk to other parents.
16: Dad died five years ago very suddenly. And so obviously it was just the big shock and then nothing really led up to it so our story was just from that day and the feelings we had but it was really good to go into each feeling we had after the death and the shock of it and go into it in detail in the activities we did a memory jar so we used our positive memories and like colored in a memory jar um, and each color of the salt was for like a memory we had that was good Can you tell me one of the memories in your jar one of them was um, blue for the seaside because he used to love going on holiday day with us nothing makes it better but it certainly didn't make it worse and we
19: felt more positive and it was nice to meet other people and actually ella was 16 on the day my husband died so it was a really hard time she was doing gcse she was going to college friends were all celebrating the end of year it was coming up to the summer holidays we'd got a family holiday book the day after my husband died so it's all just that practical side it was a real pain for ella it's a real bad time in a teenager's life to lose somebody Louise, you obviously had to deal with your own grief, but also your children's. How did you work through that? It's really just a muddle. It's a real muddle, but having someone like Chums and Dawn that you could talk to and the people that really understood, it just made it a bit clearer. It's just a very, very hard time, but Chums really helped.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. That was Sophie Solaria there um, talking about Chums. And in the next hour on the show, we'll have the director of Chums uh, in the studio to talk more about the Bedfordshire Service for Grieving Children. We've been talking about the longest job you've ever had. And also, I think perhaps more interestingly, the shortest job you've ever had. 08 459 455 555. Jay is in Luton. Good morning, Jay. Morning, mate. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. What's the? Have you called in about the longest or the shortest job? Shortest. Go on. We've had four days so far. Can you beat that? Two hours. <laughs> oh! Ho! Jay, you skyver. What on earth happened? Without mentioning any companies, what was it? And why was it only two hours? I was pretty young.
20: I think I was about 17, 18 at the time. And um, it was for a sandwich factory.
0: A sandwich factory. Uh,
20: I walked in there. It was interesting that morning. So uh, the sort of had us in the canteen, uh, got us to put the apron on and the wellies on and uh, go downstairs into the factory. As I was going down, one of these supervisors... Uh, spotted me, and she goes, because I had a bit of a stubble thing going
0: on. You had a bit of a what, sorry? A, a little stubble thing going on. A little stubble thing going on. Okay, yes, yes. Um, and she pulled me to one side, and I had my watch on still as well. Which oh, was, you don't uh, wear a watch in a sandwich factory, Jay. That's yeah, a basic. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know
20: that. And uh, so they put me to one side and said, right, you need to go home, have a shave, <laughs> and you need to uh, take your watch off. So took the apron off, got dressed, got back home. And this mind, this is about 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, and the sandwich actually absolutely stank it was <laughs> what did it
0: what did it smell of Jay
20: it was just horrible I oh, no just rotting fish and, oh god it, and you know the rotten veg and stuff it was, it was disgusting so uh, I got back home went straight back to bed and that was it
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you never did you phone them up and say look I'm not coming back or you just didn't bother going back
20: no I just fell asleep mate and that was that was that was, I think they got the hint
0: <laughs> was that your first job uh, no it wasn't my first job no and are you working now, Jay?
20: Yeah, working. I was driving to work when I uh, uh, was listening to the radio, so I parked up. I thought I'd go give you guys.
0: <laughs> Good lad, Jay. Listen, thank you very much. Two hours. Why could you not have stubble in a sandwich factory? I understand the watch; you could have, you know, clear wrists and keep everything clean. Stubble, really? Okay, this is a challenge. I don't know if we're going to beat this. We may have peaked at seven twenty-eight. Can anybody beat Jay, who had a job for two hours and he went home to bed? i know it's tough 08459 455 555 if there is anybody out there who has had a job for less than two hours i want to hear from you
1: the BBC in beds, hearts and bucks This is BBC
0: Three Counties Radio. Ah, I just went, ah, I don't know why. Uh, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Can you hear my voice? Is getting all husky. Is, are you finding it exciting? Yeah. It, it's going to last until nine o'clock, but it, it just seems to be going lower and lower and lower, which is always wonderful fun. Uh, if you want to give us a call this morning, 08459 five nine four We're looking for the longest job and the shortest job. Long- longest time you've been in work and the shortest time you've been in work uh, ever. Also talking more about trains and uh, loads of other stuff coming up in the next half hour. I have got some homework for you. Two bits of homework. I'll give you one now and one after eight o'clock. The first one is tonight on ITV. Yes, I know them. um, They're showing the documentary about Jimmy Savile. Could you watch it, please? Even if you think it's uh, abhorrent that they've made such a thing, it will be really interesting for you to watch it because we're going to talk about it a little bit more tomorrow i know that peter that uh, we spoke to i think on monday was disgusted by the revelations that jimmy savile may have abused uh, some young girls but he said he'd watch it for us and i appreciate that so if you can try and watch it i always find it better to talk about things that we've seen because sometimes we, we, we can be in danger of jumping on bandwagons and getting a little bit overexcited so if we watch it we can have a proper grown-up chat about it tomorrow thank you very much Now, a woman from Milton Keynes is calling for an improved bus service for the blind. Padma Cherian has limited sight and can only see shapes. She says that some buses do not stop, and she doesn't know when to get off. Well, this morning, the RNIB has launched a national campaign to highlight the problems that those with sight loss suffer when catching a bus. Earlier on, we heard from our reporter Victoria Cook. She went out with Padma and tried to catch a bus in Bletchley.
9: Now, Padma, can you see that in the distance?
8: I can't see a bus coming, no.
9: There is a bus coming. Oh, is there? I can't see what number it is yet, but I'm going to no. stand back. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. So, tell me what happened when the bus stopped. What did you say to the bus driver?
8: Uh, do you go to Springfield? And he nodded. So, I had to ask again. I'm sorry, I can't see you if you nod yes or no, then you said yes.
9: So that's how you know that this is a bus number four because I didn't yeah, tell you. No. no. <laughs> so to get off the bus, the driver will announce, hopefully, the stop hopefully. for you. Hopefully.
8: Is this Springfield? Yeah, yes. All right. Good job I asked. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't have
9: asked just then, no. you, how would you have known to get off the bus? Especially at night.
8: I mean, at least now I can see it is slightly different, so I can see the shape. It is, I know this is near Tesco. Well,
9: to be honest, if you hadn't have asked, I actually wouldn't have known to get off here either.
0: Well, joining us live now from a house in Bletchley is Padma. Good morning, Padma. Good
8: morning, Ian.
0: How are you this morning? You're right?
8: Yes, thank you.
0: Uh, now, we heard there that the bus driver forgot to tell you when you got to your st- uh, stop. Yes. How often does that happen to you?
8: Very often. Because when the bus is full, well, I can understand if the bus driver forgets because there are so many pressures on him. So the my campaign is, now, please stop for me, talk to me.
0: Because when I was a lad, bus drivers would, were more than happy to kind of... The, the Tesco's is just around the corner. They do that all the time. They don't seem to do that anymore, do they?
8: Well, uh, to be fair to them, they are, m- most of the drivers try to help but they are under pressure when mm. the bus is full they forget and as a human being i can understand that so what we are asking now we are we are told that we will get audio announcement of bus stops next year but that doesn't solve the problem of hailing the bus and knowing whether that per- what the route is what
0: other problems do you face uh, when you're on the bus or using buses
8: well, there's... How much time you have? We, listen, we got so, all the
0: time in the world for you, Padma. You tell us. Go through the list.
8: Well, uh, to start with, as I said, all the bus stops in Milton Keynes are hail and stop. So when I can't see a bus uh, approach, a vehicle approaching, I can't hail a bus. I, You know, uh, I sometimes I show, uh, put the hand up for a lorry. I don't know if it's a bus or a lorry. And if... So when I can't see a vehicle coming, if I, when I'm stopping, uh, standing at a bus stop, I expect a bus to stop. But because I don't hail, they won't stop.
0: Uh, is it true as well that sometimes they don't drop you off near the stop?
8: That is very true.
0: So that must be because quite confusing for you.
8: Because especially in Milton Keynes, you see, in the city centre, there are several buses stopping at one particular stop and there are several stops near to each other. Mm. So I don't know which stop, uh, which bus has stopped at which stop and which bus is the right bus for me. Who is going to tell me?
0: Padma, have you uh, had um, been visually impaired all your life?
8: No, I'm not. Only for last 16. But Ian, yes. it is not just for the visually impaired. No. I'm talking about visitors to Milton Keynes also. Yep. There is no information for the visitors um, to, for them to know which bus goes where. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they have to ask whether sighted or not.
0: Papa what changes would you You're in charge of all the buses in Milton Keynes. Okay, yes. you own them now. What changes are you going to make?
8: First of all, I would introduce audio announcement of bus stops and there are sign at the bus stop um, which bus stop it is, and some information at key locations which bus goes where. because the um, even visitors don't know which bus goes where. even sighted people wouldn't know. Mm. There is some audio announcement. The, you see we have a now um, uh, information center, which I think it is Arriva have put it up um, in the city centre, but we could, we don't get much help from them.
0: There are some people, Padma, who might say, hang on a second, this only affects a tiny amount of people. If these in- If these changes are introduced, it's going to put my bus fare up. Why should I pay for Padma and a handful of other people?
8: Well... It is not, as I said to you, it is not just for the blind people, it's for the visitors also. It's a growing city, there are new people coming, moving into Milton Keynes for jobs. They they need to know which bus goes where and it is a basic customer service for drivers to be polite. Uh, to all customers. So, if they are polite and if they are helpful, they will get more customers, and there are more people will travel on buses. We are trying to get people off their cars, and if there is no good service, they are not going to do that, are they?
0: Padma, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. you very much. It's a, well, it's a pleasure. It's Padma cherian who is visually impaired uh, and is struggling to use the buses. If you are blind or visually impaired. I'd love to get your take on this. If you suffered the same problems that Padma has, 08459 455 555. It's something that's never crossed my mind, if I'm completely honest. Uh, And obviously, it's a problem. There's an issue there. So if it's affected you, 08459 455 555. Or maybe you think, you know what? It's only a handful of people. Really, We, we can't help everyone. Uh, we uh, have um, got some statements. Arriva buses weren't available for comment on this story, but Milton Keynes Council has sent us a statement to say that we are responsible for the bus infrastructure in Milton Keynes, including bus stops, shelters, etc. However, the Council only awards contracts for subsidised bus services. 80% of buses are run commercially, and the Council does not control those through a contractual relationship. In the next couple of years, we're looking at installing audio visual next stop displays on Arriva buses in Milton Keynes using better bus fund grants the displays would show the name and announce the next stop uh, but of course this will only help people already on the bus 08459 five nine four we're talking about longest job you've ever had and indeed the shortest job you've ever had Michael and Sandy I believe you've called in about the shortest job how you doing, Ian? How you doodling? <laughs> I'm doodling very, very well. Listen, Ian, I love that husky voice. D- uh, well, listen, with your slightly helium voice, we- we've kind of both of the spectrum, aren't we? We are both ends of the spectrum, whatever the spectrum is. When you when, when you um, get a cold or a chest infection, Michael, does your voice go as deep as mine, or is it just is it kind of like Pasquale level pretty much all the time?
7: It depends on what kind of uh, G-string I'm wearing, Ian, at the time. Oh, what a horrible, horrible image. Now, listen, what did you text in about? Well, I texted about is, you know, the shortest job on the planet, and I think I've actually had that job. Can you beat two... Hours? Uh, I can 20 minutes. <laughs> 25 minutes are uh, pushed,
0: depending where the petrol station was. Ian. You're, you're all such shirkers listening to this show, I love it. Go on, what, what, don't mention any company names, but what was well, it and what happened?
7: Basically, Ian, to put it in a nutshell, and that's the problem, Ian, you can put it in a nutshell, but that's another story. Um, what it was, the war board were looking for a Class 2 heavy goods driver. Yes. Uh, grab, and that's me. Well, that's the rumour. I went down there on the Friday, uh, spoke to the chap in charge. And uh, he knew me, unfortunately, and um, he said to me, well, my like, said, I know you've got plenty of experience, you know, blah, blah, blah. Look, I cut not the chase, he said, pound, £90, £90 a day. I went, £90 a day? £90 pound a day? He said, £90. Normally you get about 120 in for this. So I thought, give it a go. You know, this was a Friday. So Monday turned up. Anyway, pulls back the do as you do, to get out of the bed. Goes down there, goes and sees the chap in the yard. He gives me the keys, takes me out, shows me the wagon. What an absolute pile of, wasn't very nice here. him. Yes. Wagon. No, I'm still talking. I know, anyway, carry so, on. So what I needed mean, here was, I must be helium voice. So, I guess in a wagon, it needs a bit of fuel, because otherwise it won't go. See, that's the problem. So I took it down the fuel station, filled it up, and if I'm fuelling that up, I keep thinking, £90 a day. £90 pound a day. So I filled it all the way up, drove it back to the yard, threw the keys at him and said, this is not for me. 20 minutes. <laughs> 25 that I pushed, I don't know how hard I pushed it. So, uh, and, and what
0: did your, your ex-boss say? My, well, it wasn't the ex-boss, it wasn't me. I just threw the keys into him. Right, okay. Michael, are you performing anywhere in Sandy yeah, that, that well, we, can, we can come and see you? Do you Come all, and you?
7: see me live, and I do a lovely strip show with a pigeon.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. If you just tuned in and missed Michael's call, you'll be able to hear it later on on the Facebook page. I think we're going to audio-boo that. Michael and Sandy, 20 minutes he had a job for. I, I think I can see why. 20 minutes. he had. Can we beat that? I I thought we'd we'd be hard-pushed to beat two hours. We've got it down to 20 minutes. If anyone has had a job for less than 20 minutes, 08459. 455555. Vic, I was a Saturday boy at the butchers for 10 years, retired at 65 as a self-employed butcher. Old butchers never die. They only lose their choppers. And Pauline Hamill says, when I was young, I worked in a bakery. (laughs) I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh at this. But I kind of, I've been in similar situations. I worked in a bakery for for a while, and I had a similar thing. When I was young, I worked in a bakery and was bullied by a pregnant lady and her friend. I ran away after three days and never went back. I did get free, three pasties, three pasties for three days though. So every cloud. I worked in a bakery for a bit. I hated it. One of the worst jobs in my life. And one of my jobs was to get the, get all the dough. This is horrible. I won't tell you the really horrible story. I'll just tell you the horrible story. Get all the dough from the dough-making machine and then put it in the bun-making machine. And you have to pick it out, and it's like a big lump of dough, and dough kind of moves, and it's you know it's got a life of its own. Carry it to the other side of the, the bakery and put it in... I won't tell you the horrible, the really horrible story, because that is gross. But the horrible story is, I dropped this dough on the floor. I, I dropped it on the floor, and no-one was there. I thought, oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. So I picked it up and i put it in the dough making machine it'd been on the floor and they're all like bits on it they were like lumps and it was horrible and it was dirty and just think there is a worse story than that that i'm not prepared to tell you i've just told the team the really gross story they said, no, don't tell it on air. Don't tell that one on air. It's 7.46, Wednesday, the 3rd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government has cancelled its decision to award the running of the West Coast Mainline to first group after finding technical flaws in the way the contract was decided. Teams of specialist officers have been searching through the night for April Jones, the five-year-old girl abducted in mid-Wales on Monday night. In sport, in League One, Milton Keynes-Dons drew one all at Coventry with a 1st first- half equaliser from Stephen Gleeson and your weather across beds hearts and bucks a bright start but we're in for some showers later some of those heavy top temperatures 14 degrees coming up bigger fatter gypsier does that title offend you well it triggered a lot of complaints for the show Big Fat Gypsy Wedding hear more about that
1: next BBC Three Counties Radio (laughs)
0: Beatles say this Friday on BBC I love it, Counties Radio. Thank you, Justin. I love it. I'm so excited about that. We've got someone coming in as well on the show on Friday to play a bit of live music. It seems to be coming a, a, a bit of a thing for us on Friday shows. At the end, we have someone in. We've got someone who's excellent coming in. Uh, don't forget, I want your tenuous Beatles connections. The more tenuous, the better. If you could email them to 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Mark your emails, Ian Lee, Beatles Day, and they'll get to us. Uh, and uh, we'll read those out later on. Now, did you watch The Big Fat Gypsy Wedding a few months ago? Well, Channel 4's Bigger, Fatter Gypsier advertising campaign for the second series of the TV TV programme has been condemned by the Advertising Standards Authority. The watchdog says, Channel 4's direct endorsement of negative stereotypes seriously offends and damages an already vulnerable and excluded community. The ASA received 372 complaints from individuals alleging that the adverts were racist, racially denigrating and had the potential to incite racial hatred. Well, Cliff Cordona is a spokesperson for the Gypsy and Traveller community. Good morning, Cliff. Good morning. Cliff, uh, what did you think when you first saw these adverts?
21: Well... Again, like you've, you've just put it in a nutshell how you just said about um, the community itself, where we are a very ex- excluded community, and to be on television at all for us is a breakthrough to try to show something of the inside of the community, but unfortunately when we start being exploited, that does start offending people greatly, and to to get into the complaint system is not easy. And I, I think it's probably a, a victory to actually think that we've actually achieved something in that field. Where exactly do you feel the exploitation is, Cliff? The exploitation is, you know, of the, the women, the, the young girls, the young boys, you know, too much camera, um, inclusive stuff, you know. I mean, I think they're just going a bit too far with it, to quite honest with <sighs> you.
0: Is there not, I don't know if you've been associated with this TV show at all, but there is always um, the, the, the potential when you sign a contract with a TV company that there's going to be some form of exploitation, isn't there? Of course. Were the so. people involved in the show not aware of that? And also, with a title like Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, it kind of says what it's going to be,
21: doesn't it? Well, the, diff- the thing is, when you, in, you, know, you... You know I've done lots of media stuff over the years. Unfortunately, when you invite cameras in, it's very hard to censor... The film footage that is took, of course, and then showed. Do you know what I mean, that that's the problem with it. That's down to the directors when it gets back to the company, So And we wouldn't want the censorship, would
0: we, Cliff? Surely it's it's, it's better that the, the 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 TV companies are allowed to invest. If there was any censorship, then it would be biased the other way, wouldn't
21: it? Yeah, of course. You know, what I mean, at the end of the day, we want to, all we want to show is a a balanced living of the community. You know, whether it be a wedding, a party, or people moving up and down, or anything like that case to show the Mm. general public how we live. But when it starts entering into the point of, you know, exploiting young girls and Mm. women and that because of their dress sense or stuff like that, then that's gone too far.
0: Listen, I totally agree. I think that somewhere there is um, a a fascinating programme about the gypsy community. I don't think Big Fat Gypsy Wedding is necessarily it. But are they are they representing the gypsy community in an unfair way? If the girls dress like that, and if the men behave like that, then that's surely reflecting the
21: gypsy community, isn't it? Well, I don't know if you know much about my background, but we come from an entertainment family. Right. And unfortunately, when you put a camera on somebody, they will kind of, you know, perform for a camera. Mm. And that's the problem with it. And then that's not a true reflection of the community.
0: But then that's the problem not of the, the, the production company or the channel. That's the the, the the fault of the person in front of the camera,
21: isn't it? Well, I still think personally at the end of the day that still goes up to the, the top director within the company. He should have a moral standing of what he thinks is suitable to be shown on television going beyond the point. If he's had permission from the community to do filming and gather... Well, it's fantastic footage, there's no sense saying it ain't, mm. to show the people inside. But looking at all other communities as well, when you start exploiting... Um, sexualization of things, mm. that's a completely different ball game.
0: There have been a lot of criticisms, haven't there, that the, the, the children have been represented in an overly sexualized way.
21: Yes, I do believe so myself, and I, I've had a hell of a lot of complaints from the community myself, even though I, I would love to see television programmes continue, I wouldn't want to see it stop, mm. but, you know, if it, it could be cleaned up a bit would make a big difference.
0: Cliff, have the people who've actually been in the show complained? And if Uh, so, why did they let a second series happen?
21: Because I think that they're overwhelmed with being given the opportunity to be on television. Mm. It's become a a very, very big thing within the community to, you know, we've got a a very divided um, people between what should be shown and what shouldn't be shown, and whether we should allow cameras in at all, because we've always been the unseen people. For us, it's all new territory, everything we do.
0: It's made stars out of some of them, hasn't it? There's that gentleman whose name I can't remember, but he hangs around with um, that politician's wife, and he's got spin-off shows and stuff like that. I-, I don't suppose he's complaining, is he?
21: No, I don't suppose he is, and I think fantastic for the fellow at the end of the day, to be quite honest with you, mm. if you take as Paddy Doherty, if you take his that's Paddy Doherty, thank yeah, you. If you take his context of what he's doing, and listen to the man when he's speaking, you don't see any lies coming out of that man's mouth, mm. and he won't allow for, he won't allow for for smottiness or anything like that. It is telling the truth as it goes along. Cliff, there is a
0: lot of prejudice against uh, travelling communities and gypsies. Uh, why is that, do you think?
21: It's absolutely centuries old. It's because, you know, we're, we've always been seen as uh, there's a... There's an old song, Gypsy Spangles and Be- Bees. You know, we've always been seen as um, the underclass... We thieve everything, everywhere we go, we do damage. Nobody ever wants to see us as a a decent, respectable people, do you know I mean? We've we've made massive, massive changes in the last decade
0: to the way we live. Cliff, and finally, in in a sentence, can can you present, I'm asking almost the impossible, could you present uh, the, the, the positive image of gypsies that you'd like to get across?
21: The positive image, I think, more than anything is that we love the country that we live in, and we love being able to travel up and down. And, you know, the UK to us is a fantastic country, and we just like to be seen as a more decent, respectable people like other communities, just not seen as the one at the end of the chain all the time.
0: Cliff, thanks very much for your time. That's Cliff Godona. He's a spokesperson for the Gypsy and Traveller community. Um, after several talking about several complaints that were made and upheld about the advertising campaign for Channel Four's bigger, fatter Gypsy. We were talking um, earlier on about blind people and their struggle with buses. Uh, Ray's in Dunstable. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Ray. Sir. Are, are you blind? Are you visually impaired? I'm never quite I sure what the right term is. <laughs> I am <laughs> severely uh, sight impaired,
22: but blind. Registered blind. Okay. And I've got a guide dog. Oh, and,
0: fantastic.
22: Uh, yeah, they are fantastic. They're great, aren't they? they? Are brilliant. Uh, uh, oh, brilliant! I duck. I can't describe how good they
0: are. I've heard from uh, other blind people that there is a very special relationship with their dog that is is unique.
22: Yes. They seem to sense... what you can see and what you can't see. Yeah. Don't ask me how, yeah. but they do. And uh, when we go uh, for free walks uh, with them, uh, my wife comes with me, a daughter or a friend or somebody, and he has the time of his life. But if I take him on my own, he knows where I can see, and he's got a bell on him, so I can hear where he is, but he never goes far from me.
0: Ray, can I ask you, yeah. how does the dog know where you want to go? Do you tell him? Yes.
22: Uh, once a dog has been in, like, say, I want to go to the gym, I want to go to the dentist or the yeah. doctor's. When we leave in the front door in the morning, I say to him, We're going to the doctor's.
0: No, you don't do that. You say to him where you're going, and he, and he understands. Every word. Every you s- you word. you say, Right, right, what's your dog called, Ray? Sparky. So you say, Right, Sparky, we're going to the gym today, and he knows, he knows how to lead you there. <laughs> Isn't
23: that incredible? I, I am not kidding you. Isn't it's that incredible? <laughs>
22: just got up from his bed and come into the room where I am now, and he he knows that's where I'm going. He he knows where I'm going now.
0: So, buses. What's, What's your experience with buses?
22: And, overall, very good. Overall, mm. um, but the, the other Saturday I had three buses drive past me without stopping. Now I only know the buses um, because the engines, when they go past, the noise of the engines, but I can't see them approaching.
0: Like that lady said. So it's too late. You, can, you only know it's a bus yes. once they go yes. past you.
22: Yes, yes. No, most of the times the drivers are brilliant, but I did have another experience where the driver said, your pass is out of date. Yeah. And I said to him, uh, well, I might be out of date, but how am I supposed to know if I can't see it?
0: Hang on a minute. D- 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 a bus driver got stroppy because a blind yes. man with a dog had an out-of-date pass. Yes. Did he get yes. you on in the end? He did. Oh, good. He did,
22: yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, well, uh, I would have kicked up had he not.
0: Good for you. Well done. Although, of course, we do not encourage kicking up here at the BBC. We're talking about trains as well. How, how have you managed to cope with trains?
22: Brilliant. If you if you book up in advance, they'll have somebody waiting for you at the station to yeah. take you onto the Pacific train. And then when you get at your destination, they have somebody to help you at the other end. Yeah. But also, on airlines... They can be brilliant as well. He comes on the plane with me. We go to Ireland. <sighs> and um, the, the staff are absolutely brilliant. They uh, allocate a seat between my wife and myself for James, the James, very
0: quickly, there was a story uh, that happened near me recently of, of a blind person with a guide dog being turned away from a coffee shop. Have you ever been told not, you can't enter certain places because you've got the dog?
22: <laughs> yes, yes, quite a few places. But you say to me, I hope you realise that you're breaking the law.
0: And do they let you? Have, they, have you been letting every um, time?
22: Well, you, uh, to be honest with you, if they if they want to make a meal out of out of it, I'd say, uh, well, that's fair enough. If you don't want my custom, uh, I wow. shan't frequent your premises again. Incredible. But you are breaking the law by doing so.
0: James, listen, I don't want to call you a liar, <laughs> but I don't believe, I do not believe that Sparky knows where you want to go. Could I send one of my team out one morning to, to, yes. to go out with you and your yes. dog, yes. just just to check up that he's doing exactly what you yes. say he does? Yep. Yep. All right, listen, thank you so much, Ray. Stay on the line, we'll get your details. Someone will come out. "Ah, I'm suspicious of this Sparky character. You say to him you want to go to the gym and he knows where to go. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Look at this. It's coming up to eight o'clock. Where did those two hours go? I love that call. So you tell Sparky the guide dog where you want to go and it's like programming a big track and it takes you there. We shall see. Plenty more coming up, but first, the latest news and sport is Catherine Boyle. We're getting there, dear listener, we're getting there. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. My voice is going, but the show is going strong. We'll be all right till nine o'clock, don't worry, and then Bill Buckley will take over. He's filling in for JVS, and he's always a cracking listen. Coming up in the last hour of this show... Just who's going to run the West Coast Mainline, which runs through Milton Keynes and Watford? There's a big question mark hanging over it now. The Bedfordshire Child Bereavement Charity that says the demand for its service has gone through the roof. And find out why a Milton Keynes man has got an appointment with the Prime Minister.
1: BBC Three Counties Radio
0: was always and i i cannot encourage you enough uh, you can call in anytime about any of the things we're talking about and also if there's something we're not talking about and you think that perhaps we should you can give us a call as well you can talk to the team and if they think it's good enough it might make it on the show the ways to get in touch are the email 3cr at bbc.co.uk you can text 81333 Starting your text 3CR. The best way to get in touch, though, is 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to get in touch. And it can be, if if you think that there's a story that we've missed or there's something happening in your town or in your street or in your house that you think we should be covering do get in touch we're kind of keen to make this show between six and nine as as interactive as possible now if you catch the train from Watford oh my voice wobbled then did you hear it maybe we won't make it tonight bill if you're listening upstairs get ready to come in early if you catch the train from Watford or Milton Keynes on the west coast main line you'll have been used to getting on a virgin service from December first group were due to take over well, now the decision to award the franchise to First Group has been scrapped, and the government says the bidding process must be rerun. Ministers say there were significant technical flaws in the way the risks for each bid were calculated. Earlier on, I spoke to MP for Milton Keynes and member of the Transport Select Committee, Ian Stewart. He said the first group bid was always riskier than the others. Tony Miles from Modern Railways magazine was listening and he wasn't impressed with the answers. Have a listen.
13: My my judgment of it was that both Virgin and First Group had put in... uh, deliverable bids uh the first group one was more ambitious certainly uh and i'd say consequently riskier
0: so well, someone uh, say it was it, it was you know just it, they could never meet those figures it was it was too ambitious just to get the the, the well, deal
13: I, I don't accept that um if you look over the the, both bids for the 15 years for the first 10 years they were broadly similar uh virgin then calculated that the increase in demand would would level off and first calculated it would continue over the the lifetime. So we're only talking about a difference towards the end of the franchise.
0: Got on the line now, Tony Miles from the Modern Railways magazine. Morning, Tony, what do you make of all this? I'm astounded at some of those answers I've just listened to, so there we go. Um,
14: We wrote in our editorial in our magazine that only came out last Friday, this is no way to be uh, letting franchises. And we had an awful lot of calls from within the industry saying, you're absolutely right. So uh,
0: What's wrong with the the system at the moment, then, the way it's, it's set up? Well, the the, the
14: way it's run at the moment um, is particularly companies bidding are uh, required to second guess what kind of inflation there will be over maybe 10, 13, 15 years, depending on the life of the franchise. And Mm -hmm. to get it absolutely right, they're required to guess how many more people can be um, attracted to the railways over that time. and uh, they're required to guess what kind of competition there will be. They have to guess what, what fuel costs will be in terms of maybe the competition, like roads and so on, um, and, and guess all that for the whole of the life of the franchise and then bet how much money they can make out of it.
0: Well, there you go. That was earlier on in the show. Sim Harris is the Bedfordshire-based managing, managing editor of Rail News, and he joins me now. Good morning, Sim. Good morning. Sim, you heard that.
24: They knew... That sounded like my colleague Tony Miles.
0: It, it, it certainly yeah. may have sounded like that. <laughs> they knew it was riskier. So oh, yes. why, why has this happened? And why is everyone saying, oh, we're so surprised
24: by this? Well, I don't think anybody's surprised except possibly the DFT. <coughs> um, excuse me, so forgive me, this is about the 18th interview I've done this morning. God
0: oh, bless you, Sim, don't worry, we're, <laughs> both of our voices are struggling. This could be a very silent five minutes of radio. <laughs>
24: um, the, the bottom line is that, um, as, as you just heard, this is no way to let franchises. Indeed, uh, Rail News ran an editorial saying very much that uh, last month. And our point was to take it further. The DFT shouldn't be doing it at all. Uh, The DFT is now proving handsomely that it can't do it. Um, uh, bearing in mind that we are we are talking to people listening to this program in Bedfordshire mm-hmm. and Hertfordshire, and they are served by the Thameslink line. Now, if you're a Thameslink commuter, you've been hearing for years about new trains which are supposed to be coming. Yes, a few did arrive, and they're quite nice—the the dark, blue, the newer dark blue ones. But the whole fleet is supposed to be replaced in time for this uh, cross London, this uprated service across London by 2018. Now, at the moment those trains have not yet even been signed off. Siemens was declared the the preferred bidder uh, last year, June of 2011. The government still hasn't got the contract done. It does seem impossible to get anything done with the DFT and railways. Franchises already have been extended because the DFT can't keep to its own timetable. Now, the franchising programme, and 2013 does include the Thameslink franchise in theory, but whether it will be relet in practice, I wouldn't like to put money on it. It's in chaos.
0: You're saying that the DFT shouldn't be involved in this. What do we need then? Like a train czar or someone?
24: So One person in charge? No, I, th- I think that's not quite the way to do it. All, all that I can say is that the railways started carrying passengers in 1825. Never until the last half dozen years has a government department directly run the railways, not mm. even in wartime. And it doesn't work. We are getting more and more problems with the Department of Transport just getting it wrong. Now, this is the, the, the biggest clangor so far, in a way, because it is going to cost the taxpayer upwards of $50 million. Uh, th- this particular error because all the bidders will want their bidding costs back. Uh,
0: now, listen, we've, you've mentioned this to me before, Sim. Can you clarify mm-hmm. how much does each bidding company have to pay and who gets that money?
24: There's no have to pay. They decide what they want to spend. Uh, the, the people who get it will be the lawyers, the accountants, and the consultants. Right. Um, but we know that Virgin spent 14 million. 14 four million? Absolutely. They said so. Now, it's possible, and there were three other bidders, they may have spent a bit less than that. We don't know. They haven't said. Yeah. Let's take a, a generous view and say they spent 10 e- on average, that's yep. still 44 million but you've got to add in then, you've got to factor in all the department's costs it's spent well over a year assessing this franchise and it too has paid lawyers a lot of money in the last few weeks because of the virgin legal challenge I will bet you anything that will take the bill over 50 million. What a mess And aren't you enjoying the thought that you're going to help to pay for it?
0: Wonderful, I'm so excited. <laughs> this, Labour have called this a, a, a fiasco.
24: Labour are right. Really? I'm, I'm not making a political point but no. anybody who, uh, Louise Ellman who is the chair of the transport committee as you know she's called it a calamity i would call it a scandal really you go that far i would go that far it is just wrong on so many levels particularly when this was challenged and for weeks we had the usual blithering from the department Mm. no this is robust our calculations are fine we will resist this we expect to award the contract on time so I remember Nonsense. we talked about
0: this when uh, Branson and Virgin first kind of questioned yeah, it, part, part of me was thinking, oh, Richard, you like capitalism when it works in your favour, just get over it.
24: But it turns out he had a point. Yeah, it is possible to take that view about Richard Branson, and it, it's still a valid point. Mm. On the other hand, one has to say it looks like you were dead right. Mm. because the department essentially has caved in and said yes virgin are right we didn't do it properly
0: sim most importantly passengers h- how will they be affected by this
24: ironically <laughs> in the short term passengers are the ones who will notice the difference least right. um, let us wheel forward to the 9th of december and you're waiting shall we say at milton Keynes central yes. for a west coast train it will still turn up the same time as it did the day before uh, your ticket if you'd bought it earlier will still be valid no problem with that um, it is possible, if Virgin do not continue doing it, that the Virgin logo will have disappeared from the side of your train that morning. Mm. But at the moment, we don't know if Virgin are going to continue on a temporary basis. The department's been quite vague about that, and I think, reading between the lines, they are now talking rather urgently to Virgin, uh, on the lines of, look, could you carry on? <laughs> you and, you helping if, us? and if you do, what would, what would you want?
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Sim, it's always a joy <laughs> to talk to you. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Sim Harris is the bedfordshire manager, uh, managing editor of Rail News, and, uh, he he makes this, this could be a very dull topic. I think he brings it to life, and makes it exciting, and explains it in a way that even I can understand. An idiot like me. Uh, we were talking earlier on about how some blind bus users are struggling with buses. Alistair is in Brown. Good morning, Alistair. Good morning. Uh, are you blind? Uh, well, I'm registered blind, but I have a limited amount of vision, yeah. How much can you see, if you don't mind me asking? I can see, uh,
25: just well you know how normally uh, fully sight people can see the uh, the actual site board when you go for a sight test well, Yes. i can just about see the top l- uh, letter
0: okay what's your uh, what's your story about buses well basically um, every
25: time literally you get on the bus there's no change with the um, scanning your card um, I noticed that a couple of weeks ago I uh, got on the bus Normally flash the pass Say where you go And they give you a receipt uh, Normally don't speak to you or anything so no. That's just that's just a normal day to day But uh, when he when we got on the bus this time uh, Just said the usual stop Showed the pass went, Oi, scan it uh, He said what, sorry? Said, Oi, time to, you know, scan it
0: This is the bus driver?
25: Yeah, this is the bus driver so you all, like, Scan what? He said, like, well, scan your pass I was like, well, where do I need to scan it? Um, obviously, this is just lack of training, really, from the actual bus driver, you know, from the actual company. Alistair,
0: so can I ask you a question? Please don't be offended. Yeah, no problem. Is it obvious that you are visually impaired? Do you have a stick, or is there something that, that makes it obvious you're blind?
25: No, I wouldn't say so. I, right. Obviously, I've got a slight um, nystagmus with my eyes, which right. makes it look like I'm, I, I would have a visual problem. Obviously, I'm holding a pass that says, obviously, it's a concessionary pass, and I'm not, obviously, elderly. Right. So I must be disabled in some way, and I'm obviously walking, so it would...
0: So, in, in fairness to the driver, you could possibly argue, well, he doesn't know what the problem is, but, saying, Oi, scan the pass, that's no yeah. way to speak to anybody at all, is it?
25: Yeah, Regardless. and then when you do say, oh, I can't see very well, where, where do you want me to scan it? And then you
0: just point. <laughs> sort of... <laughs> I'm laughing because that's such a ridiculous thing to do. So you think... The machines, obviously, have been put in place as well. Some
25: of them beep, some of them don't. Some of them then uh, have a green light on them, which obviously we can't see at all. So you have to say to them, you know, is it scanned? Is it done? It's like, yeah. Or sometimes you get nothing.
0: So you, like, you, you want better training for, for the drivers, really, on how to handle these situations? Yeah, or at least a reaver to sort of
25: take some acknowledgement that changing things should sort of be maybe spoken to with passenger groups or something to see what they feel about scanning bus passes from the old-fashioned way of showing your pass with your picture on it. Mm.
0: Alice Story, Milton keys. listen, I appreciate your call, thank you very much. Just a little uh, message we've had from Glenn, he's uh, on the A505, stops the way from Hitchin to Luton, he says is very heavy with traffic, long delays, but he doesn't know why. <laughs> Right, it's 8.16 on Wednesday, the 3rd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The bidding process for the West Coast mainline rail franchise will be rerun because the government says its civil servants got their calculations wrong. Teams of specialist police have spent a second night searching for April Jones, the five-year-old girl abducted in mid-Wales on Monday night. In sport, Kevin Peterson and the ECB chairman, Giles Clark, are expected to appear at a press conference in Colombo today where details of the batsman return to the england fold will be revealed coming up chums a leading bedfordshire based child bereavement and trauma service says they could help even more children if they had the money we'll hear ella's story she used the service after her dad Newtontown town footballer david priest died suddenly
1: bbc three counties radio
0: now jonathan vernon smith is away on holiday again I don't know why, he's always off on holiday, but he's being replaced by the lovely Bill Buckley. And Bill, I have to say, yes. I've had some very nice um, emails and tweets about us having a little chat again. It reminds people of older days. Ah, oh,
26: how lovely. Which is lovely. Yes. Are you
0: looking resplendent in your... I like that shirt. Where's that from? Oh,
26: what's... Uh, uh, oh, yes, that one. Um, it's Well, it was actually from that um, that shop that gives you designer labels at high street prices. Thank you very much. I shall check it out later on. Orange logo. Yeah.
0: Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's oh. coming up on the show today? Well, we thought we'd talk Ed
26: Miliband today. Yep. Um, he's probably woken up with a bit of a, a smile on his face this morning, hasn't he? After delivering a, a speech to his party's conference, which has been widely applauded. People uh, have ind- been giving it the thumbs up, haven't they, universally? Yeah, In, independent, calling it a tour de force. Uh, perhaps more surprisingly, the Times, you know, not a, not a particular Labour supporting paper by any means, uh, calling Mr uh, Miliband a politician not to be written off. Only the Guardian, as far as I can see, sounds a note of caution, arguing that it doesn't mean Britain has necessarily embraced a, a Labour leader who <clears> still... Uh, until now has polled poorly, but maybe that all all has changed. So we thought we'd ask in the first hour, can you now see Ed Miliband as uh, Prime Minister? That is our first hour. He certainly did himself some favours, I he think. He did, yes. I mean, there are those who are saying, well, where was the content? But of course, mm. they're always very careful not to be specific, aren't they? Whenever, yes. Whatever, whatever party they lead these days because it comes back to bite you later on.
0: Bill, could you do me a favour? Could you be listening upstairs? And if my voice goes any more, could you <laughs> rush down <laughs> for maybe the last 10, 15 minutes of the show and take over? Are you prepared to do that? Anything for you. God bless you, Bill. See you later on. Enjoy right. the show. Uh, Bill Buckley, in for Jonathan Vernon Smith. And uh, it's a cracking listen. If, if you're a, one of those people, and we do get these on radio, if your regular host isn't there, you switch off bang on time Uh, stick around for Bill because it's a good listen thank you Bill see you later on now, Chums, a leading Bedfordshire-based child bereavement and trauma service, says they could help even more children if they had more funds. Since leaving the NHS a year ago, the service has increased its users by 300%, and their staff have gone up by 11 to 38. However, in beds alone, the Emotional well-being Service has almost 50 referrals a month more than they can handle. To find out about some of the work they do, let's hear from Ella. Ella accessed the service after her dad, Luton Town footballer David Priest died suddenly from the rare blood disorder TTP this is her story
16: my dad was um, a professional footballer and he had done that all his life that was his only job he ever wanted to do and he was very lucky to have got his chosen profession three years before he died he actually caught throat cancer um, and we didn't know why because obviously he was very healthy never drank and was very physically fit and obviously that took him out of his football um, profession for a while, and he was very ill with that. He had radio and chemotherapy, so we can all remember him being very ill through that stage. Before that, I never really saw him as a sick man or anything like that because he was very rarely ill. He went through that, he got through it, he did his um, two years of being um, cleared from it, and obviously this was his third year. He'd got back into his football. I think he was at Rushton and Diamonds, and then obviously um, he got very ill again. And it turned out to be um, a blood disorder called um, TTP, which is very, very rare. Richie, within 24 hours of him leaving the house that day, feeling quite unwell and going to the doctors, the next morning he was dead. That whole day and that 24 hours was a blur for me, really. It was my birthday, I'd got up, did presents, had my friends round in the evening, Mum was at the hospital. Um, It was all very sheltered from us till, like, obviously the morning when we knew. So, obviously, yeah, at 16 it was a big shock and friends were lovely, but they're still very young and nothing's like that's happened to them, so I didn't get maybe the support I would have got if it was to happen now. Chums was the main support really that
0: we had. Well it sounds like an amazing place. With us now is the Director of Chums Dawn Hewitt. Good morning Dawn. Hi. Dawn has said, don't ask me anything too, too <laughs> difficult. It's too early in the morning. It's 20 past 8 Dawn. <laughs>
17: okay I'll give you that. I'm <laughs> not
0: buying that for a second. Tell us more about Chums and, and who it helps and the service it offers.
17: Okay well Chums uh, has been around since 1997 supporting bereaved children and their families um, following the death of someone special in their lives and we then developed a trauma service to support children who'd been uh, traumatically bereaved through perhaps suicide or murder or they were suffering from post-traumatic stress and we've had that service for about five years then we were fortunate to leave the NHS last year through the Department of Health's right to request set up a social enterprise and were successful with a tender for a service for children with I guess you would call it um, it's about promoting positive mental health. So Mm. children with anxiety and depression panic attacks. Oh yeah, I speak quietly. I know that. That's fine, that's perfect, go on. Um, and uh, so we started delivering that service in November Mm. and we've been overwhelmed with referrals. I think there's a huge unmet need out there for children.
0: I'm surprised you say you were lucky to leave the NHS. Why was that (laughs) why was that a bonus for you?
17: Um, I guess we've always loved being a part of the NHS. We had a lot of support from them and had funding from them but um, as a service that wants to be creative and innovative there are constraints within the NHS around things like fundraising Mm. and we felt that our service would lend itself to being um, developed outside of the umbrella of the NHS and the way it's worked is we have three three three-year contracts with the NHS Mm. but we now have a full-time fundraiser which means we're generating monies from other avenues um, such as sponsored I'm doing a sponsored silence, for instance, in November. And so we can bring in money and that can have an impact into. Tru- it. You're on doing a sponsored
0: silence. Yes. I'm not being rude, but since you walked in the studio, you've <laughs> not shut up. How difficult is that going to be for you? Well,
17: my husband tells me it'll be easier to run the London Marathon. <laughs> and looking at me, you'll know that that would be hugely challenging. So it's going to be very difficult. How long are
0: you going to be silent for and how much are you hoping to raise?
17: Well, I'd like to raise £1,000 or more and I'm up yep. to about £600. Okay. Um, I'm doing it for 12 hours and I'm having a colleague or a friend. You have
0: to be awake for these 12 hours. Oh, yes, you can't be at night Okay, Definitely.
17: Just nine till nine and some one of our uh, volunteers is taking the day off on annual leave to watch this modern miracle and, mo- and uh, kind of make sure i don't speak
0: if people want to give money where can they go i'm sure um, there's a website or something
17: yeah if you go onto the chums facebook page yep. or you can go to just giving dawn, dawn hewitt
0: now every month you're referred more than your quota of yep. children needing your service in beds alone you're you're up over by 50 a month
17: Yeah, about that. About that. 40 to 60 every month. How
0: do you cope with that? What do you do (laughs) with the people? I mean, are you turning people away?
17: No, we're not turning people away, so we would offer them an assessment, but they unfortunately at the moment have to go onto a waiting list, which is not how we would prefer to operate. Um, How long is the waiting list? Probably best not to ask, actually. Uh, It will be uh, probably by the end of next week, about eight weeks, which is too long, really. We have just recruited some um, additional staff to help out with the waiting list. So that will bring it down very quickly. So we offer individual support to the children and we do group work as well.
0: Because it is one of those things that you need the help pretty much immediately don't you yes of
17: course of course and it only seems right if you're asking for help that you would have it as soon as you want it Mm. really rather than having to wait how difficult
0: is it for some of these young people to come in and and ask for help because i'd imagine uh, all these different emotions and teenagers you know they're not the most chatty people at times so for some of them they must be quite resentful of coming in,
1: I yeah.
17: um, What's great is a lot of them have reached the point where they realise that they need some support, mm. and so um, other people in their world often make the referral. And because we're quite flexible, we go to meet them where they are. So right. often we'll go to school or we'll go to their home, or they can come to our centre in Silso and see us. So there is a lot of choice. And we're not, um, although we use a lot of talking kind of therapies, uh, we lo- use lots of creative mm. activities as well so it's not like... You heard
0: about the memory jar earlier on? Yes, is that, is that yeah, that
17: was, that's for bereaved young people yeah. and they make a memory jar which is great because the parents get to make their own in a group as well and then at the end of the morning you find them can't wait to speak to each other mm. and their memories are often the same and it's about aiding communication in the family so we prefer to work with the child and the young person and their parents and carers and other people in their world mm. to kind of help them for the longer term.
0: How did you get involved with this? It's a very specialist kind of area, isn't it? Gosh,
17: have we got all day?
0: (laughs) We we, we might as well. We'll take over the station.
17: Um, Well, it's a long story, but I... In a nutshell, I used to be a nurse and I Mm. lost my job after a car accident and kind of thought, woe is me, what am I going to do now? I went and started volunteering at the hospice around the time that Chums was being started Mm. by a Macmillan nurse and a social worker at the hospice. They asked me, did I want to become involved? And after a bit of persuasion, because I kind of thought I was an adult person more than a child person, I went along and was completely hooked. Mm. So kind of worked myself into the position of being offered the job when the funding became available from the NHS. It
0: must be incredibly rewarding. It for you is. my it voice is. is going now we may have to end this <coughs> it must be really oh no
17: I'll boring. carry on talking that's Oh, fine, <laughs> fine. okay well, I'll hand it
0: over to you uh, listen thank you so much for coming in Dawn that's great. Uh, I, I, I wish you the best luck with your sponsored silence you.
17: thank you very much it ain't
0: gonna happen it definitely you're is you're so. not gonna do 12 hours and uh, listen you know well done because it sounds
17: like an amazing place it so is. Best thank luck. you and thanks for having me on
0: it's an absolute pleasure that's uh, Dawn Hewitt who is the director of Chums uh, we've got another 30 minutes of the show if you want to give us a call
1: across beds hearts and bucks this is Ian Lee on BBC three County's
0: radio. Okay, heads down last 30 minutes we can make it team, we can make it. Coming up, I'm going to have the latest on the disappearance of April Jones and what's the shortest amount of time you've ever been in a job? Someone called in who'd been had a job for 20 minutes. Can you beat that? Now, the story on the front page of all of the newspapers is that the search has continued through the night for five year old Ap- uh, April Jones. She was abducted from her hometown of uh, Mac Huntleith in mid Wales. A 46 year old man has been arrested on suspicion of abducting April. Our reporter Simon Thompson has the latest. Good morning, Simon. Hi, Ian, good morning. Simon, bear with me in my voice if you can.
27: When did, can you
0: just fill us on the background? When did April go missing?
27: it was on monday evening at about seven o'clock she'd been playing on her bike with friends very close to her home actually just a few yards away in in McHuntleth uh, when she was spotted by a friend getting into a a van what seemed to be a van anyway a, a light grey in colour perhaps and that prompted a massive search of the town and the surrounding areas involving hundreds of members of the public supporting the police overnight on Monday night now that search has continued overnight with police using specialist heat seeking equipment dog units and also working with mountain rescue teams they've held the police have held a media briefing this morning to us, uh, update us unfortunately no news yet as to uh, whereabouts the whereabouts of april but the police thanking the public for their support but now saying let's leave it to the the police specialist unit teams to do their job worried about the public safety and also saying the police now need to use their specialist training and also equipment to try and locate uh, april
0: an arrest has been made what, what more can you tell us about that
27: Yes, this man remains in custody this morning. He'll be questioned again by the police uh, in Aberystwyth Police Station and the police are hopeful that will help them uh, uh, pinpoint uh, April or, or lead to April or uh, help them sort of, uh, uh, focus their attentions in the terms of the search where they're searching at the moment. We're told this morning they'll focus their t- search on parts part of the town Uh, but that may change in the course of the day but this man is 46 years old he was arrested yesterday at about four o'clock the police described him then as a a significant individual who lived locally they also said they recovered a land rover discovery vehicle belonging to the man which was similar to the description given to them by the children who last saw april getting into a car light gray and a left-hand drive vehicle now the police haven't named him although he has been named locally as mark bridger And uh, he was arrested on a road leading out of the, the town, and that was cornered off and stretched off for about 12 miles in both directions at one point. Obviously, April's family must be devastated by this. Completely. And there are some stories, aren't there, in where you, 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 you can't help. Although in news you try and detach yourself from reading the stories and you can't get emotionally involved, you mustn't, um, uh, because obviously you can't be objective. There are some stories which obviously t- pull at the heartstrings, and this is definitely one of those. For, for anyone that has children of, of similar age, they must they can't fail but to be touched by what the family is going through. And, and last night a statement was read out at a media briefing by Detective Superintendent Reg Bevan on behalf of the family
10: shattered when our beautiful little girl April who was playing with, with friends was taken from us we are devastated and our lives have stopped please please if you have our little girl let her come home to us this is such a small close knit community and we plead with anyone who has any information no matter how small they may think it is to contact the police immediately Please help us bring home our beautiful little girl.
2: Now,
27: police family liaison officers continue to support the family around the clock, obviously providing them with the personal support they need and also just helping them to come to terms with what's happened and prepare for any further news. Meanwhile, the search continues. It does indeed. Uh, Detective Superintendent Bevan saying that it's still at the stage where April is missing. They are pursuing every line of inquiry. Uh, but uh, so far they found nothing. Now that search, uh, we are told by the police, will focus this morning on parts of the town. It may well be directed, though, elsewhere according to the updates they might get from questioning in, in Aberystwyth. But so far the police haven't located April, and of, of course she's now been missing for more than 36 hours. The f- longer she is uh, missing, of course, people uh, obviously do uh, uh, become more and more alarmed and concerned about her, her, her well-being.
0: Simon, how is the Community reacted to this
27: uh, tremendously well in terms of uh, coming together uh, showing support in the search for for, for for missing april hundreds of people turned out uh, at the community centre on Monday night to help the police look for her overnight. Uh, 500 people, it was estimated at one point, were out and about helping the police. Uh, and when you consider the town only has a population of 2,000, it just shows you just how many people were out. Uh, this is certainly a town where it's quite a, a, a rarity these days, but people say they are happy to leave their door unlocked and even open uh, when they go out and about. Um, it's a, Ironically, they say it's a safe place for children to play. Uh, But uh, certainly they say there's such limited crime. It rarely happens. If it is, it's very minor. And this obviously has just completely devastated the town. The town is said to be in a state of shock. The local council is obviously supporting pupils and staff at April school. And St Peter's Church in the town has organised a vigil where candles are being lit and prayers said uh, for missing April.
0: Simon, thank you very much. That's our reporter, Simon Thompson, on the latest on the missing uh, girl, April Jones. <clears throat> I do hope Bill Buckley's standing by. Because <laughs> this last 20 minutes, it's going to be hard work for both me and indeed you, dear listener. We've been talking about the shortest job you've ever had. We had someone called up who'd worked for 20 minutes before he went, Do you know what, I ain't doing this no more. Joe is in Letchworth. Good morning, Joe. Hello, mate. You can't beat 20 minutes, can you? You. I certainly can. Oh, and not, go I'm on. I'm being totally 100% genuine. Go mate. on, what so, happened? Don't mention any companies, but what was it and what happened? Mm, okay, I was about 17
11: years old. I'd been a year out of school. I'd gone to college, not really enjoyed it. Um, so I'd, I'd come back and sort of look, was looking for a job in, in my local town, a, a big Um, I got a job. I got offered a job because I used to drink in, in one of the local pubs because there used to be about 14 around the town centre. Mm. And... I got offered a job in one of them, so I thought, fantastic, you know, um, they offered me a, a position, you know, as, as a trainee cook, so I thought, fantastic, lovely, a career in cooking. Well, then we we discussed the details over a couple of beers and that, and, and I sort of turned up uh, one day for work to go and start, and <laughs> basically I walked in the kitchen... And I saw the, sh- uh, the chef there and a couple of other people, and, you know, I was sort of bright-eyed, big smile on my face, and I said, oh, you know, I'm here to, be- you know, to learn uh, to be a trainee cook or trainee chef. And he literally, the chef picked up this tea towel, threw it at me, and said, well, you can expletive it, start over there. <laughs> <laughs> right? So in other words, he just basically threw me a tea towel and said, there's a great big dirty pile of washing up and said, that's where you're starting. And uh, uh, probably a knee-jerk reaction, but I literally just looked at the tea towel, picked it back up, threw it back at him, and I said, you can do it, you are yourself. <laughs> oh, Joe! <laughs> less, less than 10 minutes. Like I say, it's, I'm sure there's, there's got to be a couple of more people out there that can beat that.
0: That's incredible. So he was doing the full Gordon Ramsay, and you as a stroppy 17-year-old, <laughs> like, I'm not having any of this, mate. <laughs> like I say, <laughs> 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 something like that, yeah. But, you know, you, ex- you expect someone to say,
11: yeah, you know, I'm going to show you this, I'm going to yeah. teach you how to cook this, I'm going to teach you how to be a fantastic bacon and, and do all those bits and pieces yeah. and, and, you know, pick up the dough off the floor and put it back in the machine like you did. <laughs> <laughs> but when he, he, he just threw a teat out at I me, mean, I just thought, I didn't sign up for this, you know, stroppy 17-year-old, yeah. still lots of spots and things like that, so I just threw it back at
0: him, do it your expletive self. Joe, what, <laughs> do, you, what do you do now? I train uh, cable engineers. There you go, you see. Joe and Letchworth. Ten minutes... Okay, we've got, we've got 20 minutes of the show left. Can anybody beat 10 minutes? I doubt it. That's wonderful. Oh, to have the, the energy and the attitude of a 17-year-old again. Threw the tea towel straight back at the chef. Swore at him and stormed out. Um, let's go to... Oh, we're talking about blind people and how they they struggle to use buses. Tommy is in St Albans. Tommy, I apologise for my voice. No Uh, problem. What's your situation and your story, please? Um,
12: no, well, I use the buses with Mum in St Albans, but, um, a story I wanted to tell was, um, I sometimes, uh, now and again, go and visit friends in Harrow. Can I ask Tommy,
0: are you you blind? Are you...? Okay, right.
12: And, um, the buses in Harrow, it might be worth sending your email. have, uh, buses with audio description on. Ah.
0: And so that it, tells you what stop you're coming up to. Yeah, it really is good,
12: Ian, because it tells you the bus fare, what it costs, and everything.
0: Oh, it, it gives you the bus fare as well. Yeah. And that, I guess, makes things a heck of a lot easier. It
12: is, it really is. I mean, I go with friends, but I mean, you know, it's uh, it's a lot easier for people with my situation, and I find it really handy.
0: Tommy, we heard from a couple of callers um, that some buses, it, it, it's hard for visually impaired people to know when a bus is coming, if it's their bus, and the buses don't stop for them. Have, have you encountered that?
12: No, because I always go with mum and that, because my uh, there you go. My mobility isn't that good. I mean, I do carry a symbol cane with me, but I always go with mum, and uh, I I don't have that problem, but I do sort of uh, appreciate what it's like for other blind
0: users. Tommy, can I just ask, your mum, is she brilliant?
12: Very fantastic, really is fantastic.
0: I had a lovely afternoon with my mum yesterday, I've not seen her for a few weeks, and uh, she's not very well, and it, it just made me think, mums are fantastic, aren't they?
12: Definitely. I wouldn't
0: be without mine. Tommy, thank you very much. Tommy in St Albans. Mums are brilliant. I had a, I've not seen my mum for about five or six weeks, and which is way too long. Wait, I try and go once every couple of weeks. Uh, and we had a fantastic lunch, and then we were surprised because my kids turned up. We got, went back to the care home she lives in, and the kids were there. Wonderful. Perfect. And my little boy loves it because Nanny Linda's in a wheelchair. So he gets to sit in the electric wheelchair and drive it around. She was in the manual yesterday, so I was pushing them both around. It was fantastic. Daddy, can't you make this chair go any faster? No, your nan's on it. She's not very well. She's an old lady. Oh, she's 62, but you get the point. Um, Some texts on shortest jobs. Steve from Stevenage says, I had a job with an earth-moving contractor for 20 minutes. I arrived at 6.45 and left at 7.05 after a row with the foreman. How old were you, Steve? He must have been a teenager as well. 30 plus years later, I'm still doing the same job. I'd never go back to that company. Andy on Twitter uh, has said in regards to long jobs, I'm 26. Been in my job as a council sparky for nine years. Well, that's not bad going if you're 26. You could be going for the record there, Andy. The longest job I've ever had is four years. That's nothing. Nothing. That's absolutely nothing. There's 15 minutes of the show if you want to give us a call. 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number. It'll be kind of handy if you did, to be honest, because I'm not sure how much longer my voice is going to last. It's 8.45, Wednesday, the 3rd of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Rail franchise will be rerun because the government says its civil servants got their calculations wrong. Teams of specialist police have spent a second night searching the area around the town of Magileth for the missing five-year-old April Jones. In sport, in rugby union, the Shale Sharks number eight Andy Powell has been fined £5,000 for foul language and hand gestures aimed at spectators at Bath on Saturday. Coming up, what's the shortest job you've ever had? Can anybody beat joe in letchworth who worked in the kitchen for a whole 10 minutes
1: bbc three counties radio
0: always worth a listen uh, to nick coffer it's a cracking listen i thoroughly recommend it don't forget from nine o'clock jonathan vernon smith is away on holiday but you're in the capable hands and let's be honest marvelous voice of bill buckley it is a marvelous voice we love it Now, a Milton Keynes man has a very important meeting with the Prime Minister, that's David Cameron, today. Alex Holmes is going to be talking to Mr Cameron about bullying and random acts of kindness. Alex is
4: on the line now. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. This sounds very impressive. How has this meeting come about? Well, uh, for a number of years now, um, I've been carrying out... um, Random acts of kindness in my local community, Stainey Stratford and, and Milton Keynes, and and now it's sort of spread to London as well. Um, but I, I was—it all started because I was bullied at school myself, and uh, I decided to do something about it. And um, a lot of campaigning to make sure that no one suffers in silence. And then it kind of developed from that, and I realised that it's not just about bullying anymore; it's about looking out for others. And um, the project that I do is all about young people taking over the high street and um, giving out free hi- uh, high fives compliments, free jokes um, and just really putting a smile on, on someone's face Alex, can I ask how old you are? I'm 24.
0: Okay, and so your, your random acts of kindness. You go listen. Everyone loves a high five. It's the universal symbol. <laughs> yeah. But do people not think who on earth is this weirdo
4: giving me high fives in the streets? Yeah. Well, luckily it's not just me. Uh, okay. There's there's a group of us, and uh, I think I think you're right. At the, at the start, some people some people don't want a free smile. Funnily enough, no, no thank you is is often um, something that, that, that we get. But I think after a, a while, the majority of people are happy to engage and. A while ago, I think three years ago, there was a survey that said that only nine percent of adults feel that young people contribute to their community, and uh, I didn't think that was that was at all on. And and. and even more so, one in four adults who cross the road rather than, than speak to a youth. So we decided to do something about that. And, and now it is making a real difference. And, and people understand that young people are, are fantastic and people who want to be part of their community and want, and want to feel like they're contributing.
0: I do like these random acts of kindness. Where did you get the idea from?
4: Well, I think, I think there's probably nothing new, really, about uh, random acts of kindness. I think a lot, a lot of this all came from young people who decided they wanted to go and take over their high street and, and really paint a, a positive image of themselves. So they did uh, sandwich boards that said free hugs and, and teamed up with a local florist to give out flowers and it was just really simple things that spread positive vibes and, and make someone's day. And it I, l-
0: I love the positive vibe. One of my favourite things I've done, I've done it a couple of times, I've been uh, in a supermarket queue and this has happened twice, once in a, in a garage, once in a supermarket, and the old lady in front of me didn't have enough money to buy her food and she was going to take some of it back Back. And I went, don't worry, love, I'll pay for that. Oh, okay. And she gave me all the suspicious. sorry, what? <laughs> I said, no, no, don't worry, listen, I'll pay for that, not a problem at all. And yes. it is, you're right, small little things mm. like that, they make such a difference to yeah. the community.
4: Yeah, and I think, I think we can all do something... Uh, something else for, for someone else. It's, it's not hard. And and, and why? Well, because cause we can. And uh, if that's one act of kindness a, a day, then that's a pretty simple thing that we can all do.
0: Going back to the bullying, what, what do you think schools need to do to tackle bullying?
4: Well, I think go- gone are the days where... Um, people believe that uh, bullying was character building or a normal part of life. It's certainly not a normal part of growing up. And I think schools have a real responsibility because young people spend 11,000 hours of their life in full-time education. Oh, d-
0: God, when you put it like that, Alex, that's terrifying.
4: <laughs> well, I know, and imagine if a huge amount of those hours are horrible hours. It, yeah. I think it's just it's a horrible sort of vicious circle because I find a lot of young people who have got... got um, relatives who were bullied at school therefore that sort of resentment gets passed on and, and, yep. and those adults now feel the school is in a safe and happy place and schools can do so much more they all have to have a law a policy but often that's quite boring but why not ask young people to come up with a solution or a creative approach they come up with some fantastic ideas and they lead it and i think they are young people are the people that can change the culture in their school do you
0: ever when you're giving out these these hugs and these smiles and these these high fives do you ever get people aggressive i tell you why mm. i've just had a- A tweet from someone. I can't read it. It was from from at balcony shirts. I can't read it because it's a bit rude. Okay, but he's written, "Would you like a free smile? Go away, you irritating person." Now, do you ever get confronted by by Mm -hmm. things like that?
4: Yeah, I think you do, but I, I think uh, unfortunately there, there are some people out there that do exist uh, and do have those attitudes yeah. and, and those those beliefs. But I think um, if you if you have youthful optimism or, and, and you have a different outlook on life, then you kind of rise above that. And those those people, there are very few people. Like um, I'm on Twitter, and, and I get the odd people that. that to sort of tell me why, why are you bothering? Why, yeah. why are you, why are you challenging bullying? But, um, those are just a few individuals and actually I don't give them any attention and they soon move on, um.
0: Uh, Alex, listen, I wish you the best of luck. Luck, say hello to David Cameron for uh, us. I will, thanks. See you later <laughs> on. Bye. Bye. There we go. I think that's exciting. Alex Holmes is going to meet David Cameron. Talk about random acts of kindness. Um, bar humbug, you grumps. For goodness sake, what's wrong with going around giving high fives out? Huh? everyone loves a high five it's one of the first gestures that kids learn to do is the high five so there now we are talking um about the shortest job you've had the longest job you've had can you believe that someone called in they had a job for 10 minutes i think that's wonderful um but what's what's the longest job that you've had let's go to lynn in Welland garden city good morning lynn
23: Good morning, Ian.
0: How are you? I'm, I'm struggling. If I'm being honest, I'm struggling. But we're, we're, we're going to make it to nine o'clock, I'm determined. If I, if I take a deep breath and push from my stomach, then some sound comes out, and that's good enough for me. Uh, now, what's the longest job you've ever had? It'll be hard push to beat 70 years, I guess. Uh, yes, it
23: will. Um, I'm in my current job now for um, 16 years. Hey, that's not and, bad. And it's only my second job. So
0: when, um, now listen, I'm, I'm going to ask some delicate questions When did you start doing this job? How old were you? I was 24 So you're, you're, you're okay, well, we, I've, I've done I've the just, math I've just reached that lovely
23: milestone this year Oh,
0: so, uh, oh yep. how was that? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm reaching it next year and I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable about it, how was it? It
23: was fabulous actually, yeah, it was very good it wasn't, it wasn't as painful as I thought it was going
0: to be How did you find turning 30? I wept like a baby on my 30th birthday
23: no, it doesn't seem to affect me. Okay. I'm, I'm, it must sort of wash over me for some reason.
0: Okay, so sixteen <laughs> years. What kind of job is yeah. it you're doing?
23: Um, well, I started sort of at the bottom, if you like, and oh, I've worked my way sort of um, through through the ranks, and I've, um, I'm sort of PA now to the directors here at the company. So it's um, it's I've seen all aspects of the company, and the company was only four years old when I joined, so it was relatively new. So I've sort of grown with the company. Um, it's an IT and telecom, so it, that's evolving obviously as, as technology does. Um, so, it, yeah. It, well, Lynn, it's listen,
0: I will speak to you in about another 50 years. <laughs> and we'll, we'll see if you're still going. You probably will have to at that point. Next day, yes. <laughs> Lynn, thank you very much, Lynn, in Wellington City. Now, <clears throat> eyes down for a full house. Right, deep breath. Another six minutes to go. A team of cyclists from Ampthill are mounting their bikes for a good cause next week. The Lockheed Martin's facility aim to raise money for Macmillan Cancer Support by taking part in a gruelling 140 mile ride. Our reporter Jenna Benson has just spoken to lead cyclist Jamie Ria. Uh,
18: it started with um, the managing director here at, uh, at Lockheed Martin Ampthill. Um, meeting up with uh, a guy from another of the uh, Lockheed sites, um, and he came back. He knew that I'd been involved in uh, in charity fundraising uh, events, and he asked me to get in touch with him uh, a couple of years ago now. And uh, and from that, this uh, this event was born. You're ready,
28: you're wearing the lycra, you've got the maps in front of you. Do you feel prepared for this event?
18: We are prepared, and what's more, the weather has has turned out in our favour. We were a little bit worried that it was going to be cold and wet and and a bit windy this morning, but it's beautiful blue skies now, so uh, we're all ready. We've had our breakfast, uh, and we're ready to go.
28: Now, this isn't going to be just a a simple cycle ride around the villages. This is 140 miles, and if we look at your maps, the, the one where you see the gradients of the hill, it looks like a mountainous range.
18: It's not really. Uh, we do have a spread of talent, so uh, there are those cyclists that have been uh, around Nepal and, and around the world cycling, but others uh, just uh, on mountain bikes with road tyres uh, and just casual cyclists. So you've got uh, a
28: mix of people that are taking we've part? Got, we've
18: got a mix. I think there's a tandem tomorrow uh, involved as well. Uh, really, the terrain's not too bad. We've, uh, we've worked out the maps, uh, the routes, so that uh, we don't take in um, uh, busy roads, but uh, there, are a few, there are a few little hills, yeah.
28: As you look on the map of, for the mid Bedfordshire area, we've got a stop at the Red Lion pub. Is, is that one of the things that you're going to be doing, just taking it nice and easy? And it's a light-hearted ride, and, and obviously you're raising money for charity as well.
18: Absolutely. Uh, the Red Lion is um, a strategic stop just after Sundon Hill. For those who know Sundon Hill, uh, we'll need a stop there. and uh, We've done it in the past, and it, uh, it's a lovely Levensey uh, stop
28: and it's not just the cycling that, that you're taking part in, it's also the Macmillan's world, world's biggest coffee morning.
18: Yes, we timed this uh, from the first year, we've timed it to coincide with, uh, with the McMillan coffee morning. So it's, uh, it's lovely to do a, a, a ride for between all of the Lockheed uh, Martin sites uh, for a company point of view, but uh, raising money for charity just adds to, the, uh, adds to the benefit.
28: And last year you raised £2,000. How's it going so far?
18: Uh, I believe it's up to £1,200. We have uh, a Just Giving website. Uh, it's a long name, but if people type in LMUK Charity Cycle Challenge 2012, uh, they'll find the Just Giving website uh, and can contribute uh, on that.
28: You've had your breakfast. The
18: Lycra is on. What time are you setting off? About a quarter of an hour, I think. When everybody's uh, packed up the bags into the, the support vans, uh, we'll be ready to go
0: fantastic excellent stuff the lockheed martin mcmillan cancer support fundraising team has uh, set up a just giving page if you'd like to donate go to www.justgiving.com forward slash lmuk cycle 12 lmuk cycle 12 now lisa hunter has tweeted me ian talk about random acts of kindness marcus Bridgestock wrote a cracking book it wasn't him it was danny wallace I think it was Join Me, wasn't it, the, uh, the, the book he wrote, which is a fantastic read, um, if ever you get the chance to read it. I think we've just about made it, haven't we? We've just about got to the end. Who knows who's going to be here tomorrow? I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have lots of hot ginger and honey. If you If your voice is going, can I recommend get some fresh ginger, boil it up, uh, and whack a load of honey in it. It's the best thing for your voice, or if you're feeling a little bit lousy. So, fingers crossed, that magic will work. Otherwise, we'll just play a recording of yesterday's show. I think that's what happens. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, right. all oh, look at the time. And thank you, dear listener, for your patience and your help. We have plenty of phone calls today, which made the whole thing uh, a little bit easier. Not thank you to my team, who every time my voice went, <laughs> laughed hysterically <laughs> and then messaged through saying, Hey, Ian, how are you finding going through puberty <laughs> that's not helpful is it but not very nice is it listen i'm gonna shut up uh, i hopefully will be back tomorrow at six o'clock if i'm not then someone with a voice will be enjoy the rest of the day coming up after nine filling in for jvs it's the excellent bill buckley ta-ta getting beds hearts and bugs talking
1: this is bbc three counties radio
3: Of course, the best thing for Ian would be to not talk between now and tomorrow morning.